0: hello and welcome to the game theory podcast i'm your host sam vicini we are presented by the athletic today on the show mark schindler he's traveling the united states right now as you can see he's in a hotel room he's in
1: beautiful are you
0: staying in palo alto where are
1: you i'm literally right across the street from the university i went as close as possible so that i could actually like somewhat walk around and not have to dude uber prices in california are insane um (laughs) like i took a 20 minute drive to go meet up with somebody today and i paid 50 dollars. it was like yeah yeah it's it's insane dude but yeah yeah it's cool it's very nice out here uh stanford is like (laughs) one of the most beautiful campuses i think i've ever had the privilege of being on Um, awesome awesome place so Mark
0: is at Stanford right now, uh, doing a story of some sort. I don't know if you want to jump into it yet because I think it's going to take we some
1: pause. Yeah, you know,
0: you can, yeah, time for you to write it and everything. Yeah. But Mark is there. You're going to get a great story out of what he's doing at Stanford today. Though on the show, we're not talking about Harrison Ingram, Stanford basketball, Haley Jones, anything like that. We are talking a few NBA topics. We're going to start very, very quickly with Cade Cunningham and his injury. Uh, where he will be out for the season as he gets surgery on his shin. I'm going to not talk much about this on this show because on Friday I have James Edwards coming on and we're going to dive deep into it and what it means for the Pistons and everything like that. I'm going to let Mark kind of give a take just because I know Mark has thoughts on it, but I'll probably save most of what I think for the Friday podcast with James. Then we're going to talk about Jaron Jackson and the Memphis Grizzlies, but particularly Jaron Jackson. Jaron Jackson has been unbelievable since he's hit the court this season, particularly on the defensive end. I don't really think it's all that close in terms of who has been the most impactful permanent defender in the NBA this season. I think it's just like very clearly Jaron, and it's just going to come down to him getting enough minutes uh, in terms of whether or not he wins defensive player of the year. I think he's been that good on defense. and We're going to talk about why. Then we're going to go – into NBA trade kind of shakeup teams. Essentially, the teams that we think really just need to do something on the NBA trade market. They need to make a move. They need to kind of find a way into uh, contention in some way or another, or even just like the playoffs. Uh, the two teams that really stand out to me are Miami and Dallas, but we'll probably talk about a couple others. Finally, we're going to close with Jarris Walker. Houston played Alabama, as you guys may have seen on my Twitter feed. I broke down a lot of that game uh, over the course of a long thread. Mark and I have been promising a Jairus Walker breakdown for the last three weeks on the show, I feel like. So finally, we are going to come through on that. Mark, that is a big agenda. <laughs> Thoughts?
1: <laughs> uh, mainly, yeah, just starting off, I uh, this just sucks for Cade. Um, you never want to see that happen to a player. Um, obviously, it. I mean – I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to pretend to be. Uh, Hopefully, that is something that is not going to take a super lengthy recovery process. Shouldn't be an issue for him. That's the hope. Um, So on that front, like, yeah, I I think that's frustrating, especially when you look at what his – it's difficult in how people have talked about his season. I do think that he made real strides. I know what the shooting splits have been. That's also like just – There's a lot going on with what that team context is for somebody who's creating on ball. um, While also noting that he just wasn't himself, partially due to injury. Um, Looking at this from the Pistons front, I think that this is again a a double-edged sword. Like on one hand, Killian Hayes like looks good. Like he's playing really, really well. Like this is better than I, I thought he would ever get back to. Um, and I think part of that has been having the ball in his hands a little bit more running with the starting unit. Um, But, you know, that's one of those things where you look, on the other hand, like, okay, well, you really need to see if this can work with him playing alongside Cade. Like, you, I, I think, like, again, it's good to see the growth in flashes and everything going on, but, like, I want to see that with the guy that you just drafted number one overall last year. So I think that makes it inherently a little bit more difficult to parse that through, especially for a team that, Even though they're still obviously, I'm not going to use the word tank necessarily, but like even though this is clearly not a team that's primed to win right now, like they're hitting a point where they do need to start reigning in what their young guy rotation is. Like they have a lot of guys who they are trying to figure out. Like the front court is sneakily a little bit chock full, like, and I think that can obviously change. Well, it's it's not sneaky. I don't think. Well, I I I think think mainly just because people don't talk about it or like you know mention it. Like Jalen Durant, I think is deserving as a starter right now. And they've been trying to play Isaiah Stewart alongside him. I haven't loved it. I, I get why they're doing it. Sue has done some fun things. Um, but then like Marvin Bagley, the third's played pretty well off the bench. They just paid him. Um, wait, they, they did just pay him, right? I'm trying to remember. I yeah. believe they did. Um, Three years, 37 yeah. million this summer. And my assumption is they're going to just keep running him off the bench. I'm interested to see how that continues to play out. But um, and then we have everything that I'm sure you're going to talk about with James with Sadiq Bay on the coming pod. Like, there's just a lot. Like, in terms of figuring out what this next iteration of Detroit basketball is, I think this season is like this. It's not just a wash moving forward. Like, they really need to figure some things out the back end of this year. Um, and losing Cade hurts that. So again, mainly it's just this sucks for Cade, um, and it makes it just a little bit harder to parse through what they're going to be. Um, but I just hope he gets better soon.
0: Well, as much as anything, you know, they went out and acquired Boyan Bogdanovich and extended him for a year. Right. And they could move him at the deadline, if I remember correctly, because I think that the extension year um, does not preclude him from being dealt. But like it's it's an interesting situation because the thing that you didn't mention there in terms of why they're coming up against this from a timeline perspective Mm -hmm. is that. Sadiq Bey, Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart are all free agents in theory after next season, which means they are extension eligible this summer. So this is when they need to find out who these guys are because whether or not you get an extension on a guy and decide to sign a guy to an extension can often mean real savings long term as you're building out this roster and can have real ramifications in terms of roster building moving forward. So I really, really think that it's hard because, and I'm going to talk about all this with James, and this is probably where I'll cut it short, but, like, they obviously should be tanking because they very clearly don't have enough talent on this team, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But they also need to be, like, competitively tanking, if that's, like, a possible phrase. It's a stupid phrase, I feel like, but, like, for lack of a better term, I guess they need to be like competitively tanking in some way just to find out who these guys are and they need to find the right scheme for them. Like for instance, Troy Weaver has really valued bigs over the course of his tenure. Are you just going to play two bigs with Cade Cunningham? That seems like a fucking disaster idea if you're trying to get the most out of Cade. So I, I don't know, but the Cade Cunningham injury sucks I'm not that worried about the shooting splits. I think Cade can shoot at the end of the day. So I just kind of don't care about that. I do care about the separation stuff that was starting to creep in a little bit. And you have to assume that it was because of the shin injury in some respect, as you alluded to. Um, But yeah, finding out if he's the guy at the start of next season and moving forward into the middle of next season is kind of their critical thing now, unless they win the Weminyama sweepstakes.
1: Yeah. No, exactly. It just, uh, it makes it again, like, uh, it's not that I think this puts like a massive dent in what Detroit is or what they can be, but it certainly makes it murkier.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's dive in to the Memphis Grizzlies and particularly Jaron Jackson Jr. Jaron Jackson Jr. to start this season is blocking 3.6 shots per game. That is outrageous. Uh, that is like. I can't remember. I'll look this up while you're breaking down Jaron Jackson, but I can't imagine we've seen someone block 3.6 shots per game in a long time. And there are a couple of things that Jaron has really improved at. I mean, when he came out of Michigan State, I think he was seen as like the switchy big, but I think his positioning and drop coverage has really, really improved. Mm -hmm. I think that his ability to kind of corral and contain drivers has really, really improved. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that his weak side instincts... Have also really improved and he's even rebounding a little bit better than what we've seen from him previously he just feels and seems a little bit more capable of anchoring his position and his spot on the floor and maintaining his ground without giving too much of it away both when trying to establish himself when boxing out on the glass and when trying to contain and corral drivers. They can't just try and go through his chest and try and draw foul or try and just like blow his way through the rim. Right. What have been your immediate impressions of Jaron Jackson Jr. And just how valuable do you think he has been defensively this season?
1: Yeah. So even before we mentioned the defense, like, I think what has been like, like, I mean, we're here to talk about the defense, but like, yeah, I, I feel like it's almost gone underwrought how important the offense has been this year. Like yes, uh, shooting 61% on twos by far career high he shot 47.6% on twos for reference on what it was last year. That was, you know, obviously a drop off from where he'd been. Um, but like he can actually post up now. I think that there's just a little bit more coordination with the ball on his hands. He feels a little bit stronger in his base. Um, you know, somebody, I can't remember who pointed this out, but um, like his stride length just feels more correct when he's driving and and putting things together as a finisher um he just feels under control in a way that he really never has felt fully in his career consistently um and that to me has been like he's gone from a guy where playing him at the four if the shot wasn't falling was really difficult to now like I still think like ideally you want him to be playing the five a lot but for what this does, like, I mean, he, like, I mean, figuring out passing is, I, I don't know if that's ever going to be something that we fully see from Jaron. Um, but what he started to round into now, you finally are sitting, starting to get like that full idea of like, this is a guy who can be, get to the rim, who can, who can really shoot, shoot off movement, and then be an absolute menace defensively. And like you mentioned defensively, like, watching him in that game against the Pistons, like, granted, it's the Pistons, but also, I mean, he was what I always look for in terms of like what is standing out as like a DPOY type play is like a guy who is blowing up plays before they can happen, like before yeah. they're even like starting to to really get there. And it feels like he made like 12 of those plays in each half, which is like remarkable to watch. And it, it's not even like, like, like you're mentioning, it's not even just like the actual steals and blocks is combining for 4.6 stocks right now. Uh, which is like you mentioned, just kind of astronomical. But um, it's just the the activity's been really good. But it's also been like controlled activity, like you mentioned too. Like it feels like um, again, kind of like in tune with with talking about his offense. His his base is stronger. He he feels more coordinated and moving in in multiple planes because that's been a big issue for him and why he's struggled with fouling is like his. His upper body is like rarely ever felt in sync with his lower body. And now it kind of feels like he's really getting that down. Um, and that's been frightening for teams playing the Grizzlies right now because he's been just incredibly impactful around the rim. Uh, and obviously not just around the rim. Like his his drop defense has been really good. His hands have been active. Um, he's incredibly mobile, of course. Like he's just been a pleasure to watch. And it's awesome to see him uh, healthy and and hitting this level.
0: Okay, Mark. Trivia time. Mm. When was the last time a player averaged 3.6 blocks per season or more? In
1: a full season. Um, I know Miles Turner was close a couple years ago before he got injured. So it ended up not being him. Uh, This is a random shot. Didn't Theo Ratliff do that once? I think he was close.
0: So it's not – Theo Ratliff. He probably did it once or twice. Oh, you
1: okay. you it's not that far straight back. Straight up, who was the last person? Yeah, because I was just yeah. thinking about that. Uh,
0: most, it, it may, maybe can the, I get like a maybe,
1: year range. Uh,
0: 2016
1: is 2016. the 2016. Who was good in 2016? Oh, obviously the Warriors. Um, 2016. Shit. Okay. Give it. Give it to me. I'm, I'm lost.
0: It is Hassan White. Oh, my God. In 2016. Okay. Right. Yeah. So maybe we'll go with a better <laughs> trivia time. Yeah. Who is the last good defender to average 3.6 blocks per game? This was in 2012. In
1: 2012. Was that Kevin Garnett?
0: It's not Kevin Garnett. It's not Kevin Garnett.
1: No, I'm thinking way too far. Wait, wait, not far. I mean, too far back. Um, 2012. Oh, was it Serge Ibaka?
0: <clears throat> if Serge Ibaka. There we yeah. go. Mark goes one for two. I love it. There we go. Uh, and surge, look, early in Serge's career, he was impactful as a weak side rim protector particularly, but I don't think he ever quite got to the point that Jaron is at now as an overall defender. You can switch Jaron. Jaron can be out on an island with a guard, and I feel pretty good with it, or at least as good as I do with other bigs outside of like Bam Adebayo, right? Mm-hmm. Bam is the best switch defender in the NBA among bigs. Jaron is, would you say that next step down, I would say, or would yeah. you even go two steps down?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I feel like Bam's in his own bracket because he's just special yeah, with totally. what he can do. Like, I mean, looking at, I don't know if you got to watch last night's Pacer game, but he just kind of took Tyrese Halliburton out of the game. Um, It was incredible okay. stuff to watch, and we're going to talk more about it. But like, um, yeah, I think he's probably two tiers below. Um, Like, he's yeah. still very, very good, but that's just more, Like Bam is one of one in what he does.
0: 100%. But what Jaron has been able to do is he's able to combine now that switching with the perimeter defense. He's improved his anticipation all across the court, I think, to the point where it's now very difficult to get away from him, Mm -hmm. I feel like. He's almost omnipresent, it feels like. Like defenders just are – there are sometimes defenders that you can scheme out right? Like you can find a way to like hide Kawhi Leonard's man, like in the corner or something like that. You can particularly do it a little bit easier. I think with wing defenders or like with Draymond green, you can try and involve him in like more on ball action. So he can't be as much of a menace away from the ball. Like I often Mm -hmm. think that's even a little bit better of an idea than what teams tend to do, which is just allow him to be a menace off the ball. Jaron is so rangy and so big while being mobile and now having the anticipation, it feels hard to get him away from everything. Don't you think like it's, it's just hard to get him out of any action that you run. Like even if he is guarding like a corner shooter or something like that, like he can take two strides and be there. And then if you kick out, like he's pretty good at closing out on shooters now to where like, yeah, he's, you know, probably going to be a little bit under control or out of control just because every six foot 11 guy is going to be somewhat out of control closing out to a corner shooter from time to time. But like, I don't know, man. It's just hard. Like, it's really, really hard to keep him out of the play now. I think.
1: Yeah. No, I would agree with that. I think, uh, I mean, that like you mentioned, it's a select group of guys that can actually do that. And he's hitting that, which has been really impressive. And I think it speaks to the Grizzlies defense as a whole because they're so good at just being solid. And when you add somebody like that who can really wreak havoc when you are able to stay solid, that just brings them to another level. Cause I think like, like we've mentioned on here before, like the Grizzlies have been solid defensively, even before Jaron got back, like they've been looking, they've they've found ways to continually be better. Um, And again, like you're mentioning, I think just bringing that in is um, they're hitting new heights. And I think this Grizzlies team just continues to really, I, I shouldn't be surprised by them anymore, but they always just kind of find ways to be a little bit surprising in what they do. And, um, I'm very excited to watch what they continue to do as guys can keep coming back and c- coming back and getting healthy. Cause like Zaire Williams, I want to say the Pistons game was his first game back. It was his first or second game. Um, he's finally back. Uh, there have been the rumors that he's just magically taller now. And it kind of looks like it on court. Um, and I'm, I'm just Desmond Bain coming back. Hopefully soon ish. Uh, yeah. This team is, this team's fun.
0: Well, and So you brought up the idea that they were pretty solid defensively without Jaron. So without Jaron Jackson on the court this year, they have a 113 defensive rating, which is like the equivalent of the 17th best defense in the league. So right around league average, right? With Jaron on the floor, they're at 105.4, which would be the best defense in the league. Now, like, look, it's probably not the best defensive lineup in the league. I would imagine that some combinations that Milwaukee puts out there. Uh, particularly with Giannis and Brook Lopez are more effective defensively. But I think it goes to show just how good the Grizzlies defense is with Jaron out there. And they are going to get Bain back. And I think that's going to add to their defense more than it subtracts to their defense, certainly. Because just putting his minutes, you know, put him in 30 minutes a game where he's a pretty solid defender who's always under control in closeouts and is a tough physical defender who you really just can't blow through his driver at all. Like yeah, he struggles with contests from time to time just because of the short arms. But like he's just always there, it feels like, mm-hmm. uh, to at least get something of a contest, even if it's not quite as impactful as it could be with someone like Mikhail Bridges. Uh, that taking those minutes away from guys like David Roddy, Jake Laravia, etc., it's really going to help their defense. Like th- this is a this is a really good team. Now the question I have for you is this an NBA title contender? I talked about this with Dave before over on Friday slash Saturday, depending on which country you live in. Hi, fellow Australians. Uh, I am very intrigued by the fact that I think this really could be. Jaron Jackson being as good as he is defensively now, mixing that with John ja Morant and Desmond Bain on the perimeter – they might be one piece away, but like with how wide open the West is, I kind of wonder if they are.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a really good question. I, I do still feel like there may be, maybe just like one depth guy short, like in terms of having somebody who can really create for themselves and others. I think that that's like, again, like even going back to last year, I think that's like the one thing that they miss. Like, obviously Desmond has made those strides and that's not to take away from that. But I do think it's more just, I feel like they need that they they do struggle to have at least two guys like that on the court at all times. I feel like even when they do stagger, I, I think that that can tend to be a problem because as much as like Tyus Jones is awesome, but I still always feel like with him, I'm like I just wish that he would take a few more shots. Like I, I feel like there's always just a little bit left on the table with him. Um, but again, that's that's nitpicking. Like that, I still think this group like what's so exciting about them is even though they're so young and they are built relatively new still uh, when you're thinking about like John Jaron still being just about rookie skill guys. Um, Same thing with Desmond Bain. Like they have real playoff experience. Like they've played what three rounds in the last two years now. And I, I I would not pick against them. I think that with what they bring matchup wise, how they can be so versatile, the ability, like they really have the ability to, um, it's not to the same level as the Pelicans, but in terms of what they bring with just multiple guys who can do quality things on court, um, they, there's not a lot of teams that I think are going to be able to match up with that. Um, and it's more so, too, like as, if they're healthy, which they this feels like, knock on wood, but this does feel like their healthy year. They're getting the injuries out of the way early um, because it's always been late in the year that it's really bit them. Um, I, I think that... I. I wouldn't. I don't want to say that they're they're a contender, but I don't want to say that they're not either. Like I, I think that if they ended up making the Western Conference Finals, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, is a is how I would put it right now. Um, but I still feel like they're maybe just a little bit away from where I would view them as like this is a full on contender. Um, but that could even just maybe next stretch of play really changes my mind on that too.
0: So what? They have like an eight-man rotation right now. Desmond Bain, John Morant, Dylan Brooks, John Conchar. Maybe you play 15 minutes of Steven Adams in the playoffs. Jaron Jackson, Tyus Jones, Brandon Clark. And then you have Santi Aldama, who is... A wild card in the playoffs, I think, at the very least. Yeah. Um,
1: I've loved his play this year, though. And he's been on I've, a heater the last week or two.
0: Absolutely love Santi. I think that he is a very real potential like NBA starter at some point, even yeah. given how good he has been so far. But there are questions about oh, sure. what that's going to look like in the playoffs, I think. Uh, right now, with him at 22 years old, that is. Uh David Roddy and Jake Laravia and Zaire Williams, all three of those guys – Zaire played a role last year, for sure. And if he can bring the offense in a way that he hasn't always been able to, like through a year and three games worth of play, maybe, maybe he can be the guy. But I agree with you. Like, if I was them, I'd be trying to go out and find like one extra guy. What would you be targeting if you are them?
1: Uh, it's a great question. I think to me, they're like I I wouldn't go in for one of the medium deals right now. I think this is very much like a if we can get Jordan Clarkson, that's sick type solution. Yeah. Not saying that he's like the guy, but I think in that mold of uh and it seems like like just to to say as well, like I think Tony Jones is like not reported, but I know that he said like the the Jazz are not really at all keen to move on from Jordan Clarkson. They really like him. He really likes being in Utah. Um, but, like, I think that ilk of player, like somebody who can come in and be, like, a super six-man for them who can really kick-start some offense. Um, yeah. I think that's what I look at. Even As much as I love Bojan Bogdanovic and what he could be for them, I do just wonder how much, A, that they'd have to give up because of what that's going to look like salary-wise to match. Yeah. Um, I do feel like that's where you start getting into more territory where, like, okay, if we're not certain that this is, like, really pushing us to the next year, which I think Boyan could, actually, because that's the only – like, they they do lack movement shooting outside of Desmond Bain still. Um, but, I mean, I, I, like, I, I think I view them, like, somewhere in that range. Like, if, they, if like, some massive thing opened up for them to, to get a star player, which that's – granted, that's not, like, on the table right now, I do think that I'd love to see them be the team that makes that move. But that's partially why I'm like, I don't know if I'll go for a mid-tier deal right now because what if that changes in the offseason? Like, what if there is a team in the offseason where, I don't know who to say, but like, if somebody does, like a top 15 player becomes available, you don't want to have moved some of your chips already that would have really helped you make that be a possibility. So I do feel like they have to tread the water a little bit on that.
0: The team I'm looking at, kind of in both respects of that continuum, right? Like, you know, good, solid offensive creator or trying to go get the superstar is the Washington Wizards. Yeah. I wonder if they could be like a real player for Bradley Beal as a guy that like, look, we talked about it in the show before. I don't know if you and I have, but like, you know, the Grizzlies, they look for good dudes that are just like going to be smart, highly competitive, tough dudes that I really think that like Bradley Beal certainly fits like the great guy, like really good locker room person, like very clearly loyal in a real way. I wonder if he kind of really fits next to a John Morant and a Desmond Bain, Bain's floor spacing and shooting John Morant's explosive athleticism, Beal's ability to create shots kind of from all three levels, I think would be really valuable for them in the playoffs potentially. Um, Or if they decide to not go that route, Kyle Kuzma has been really good this year. Pimp Ron 18 in the comments on YouTube brought up Kyle Kuzma is an interesting suggestion here. Kuzma's averaged 21 points a game. He's shooting threes at higher volume than ever while still making about 34% of them. I don't mind that actually. Like that's kind of an interesting player for them. I think he's expiring yep. at the end of the year. So like, if it doesn't work, you can move on and just be cool with that. Like six, nine okay defender like not a bad defender by any stretch of the imagination has turned into a switchable solid guy at least that's not neither of those options like depending on which route they go i wonder if the wizards and grizzlies kind of line up in terms of potential potential reasonings and potential moves that could be made on the trade market Mm -hmm
1: yeah that could be fun. I like that one because I think like 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 you are that's the exact kind of guy that I think that they need in terms of just having because they have like tons of the six four to six six guys who are uh are, are capable of doing a little bit of everything I think Kuz is a secondary creator while being capable of playing uh playing defensively and he's honestly like he can put minutes on a on a bigger guy, but to me he's always been better at playing down um and just using his length to hound guys. Um, but again like exactly like you're mentioning I think that just adds another level of versatility that I think that's like the one thing that they're missing that's what Zaire really brings when he's healthy and at his highest levels but again like you're mentioning you're still kind of waiting on on that to hit at the second part uh, to also go off Pimpron's comments I would not send Zaire like I don't think that I'm at the mode where I would trade Zaire uh, for, for Kyle Kuzma like I like Kyle Kuzma yeah. I think A the Grizzlies believe a ton in Zaire and with what he started to show at Summer League and even just, you know, at the back end of last year when he started to get some on-ball reps, um, I would not be willing to do that unless there's, like, something else coming back, maybe.
0: I, I would not trade Zaire for Kyle Kuzma knowing that Kuzma is a free agent in all likelihood this summer. Yeah. He's a player option for next year at $13 million, But you're not going to be able to extend Kuzma for 125% of $13 million, so that's out. Like, you just can't really... Do it right. Like, I, I don't think you can move Zaire Williams for Kyle Kuzma knowing the Kuzma is a rental. Um, if we're talking Bradley Beal, I think Zaire Williams is absolutely on the table, but that's that's a different conversation for a different day. I think the Wizards are, uh, surely but not so slowly needing to come to a decision on Bradley Beal and what they're going to do long term. Like, the easiest way for them to figure this out is to move Bradley Beal. And I've been saying it on the show for three years now, it feels like. And they've been stuck in this purgatory for years because they continue to keep Brad. And I want to see Bradley Beal in a contender. I just want to see what it looks like. I think that he's a killer offensive player, one of the best scorers in the NBA. I think he'd be really good in the playoffs playing second fiddle to a superstar. Uh, you put him next to John Morant put him next to Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson, that is the title contender, I think, just straight up.
1: I would kind of just – I don't know how much I love a Beal and job backcourt. Like, uh, offensively, I think that would be sick. But And I I always have thought, like, Beal – other than the one year, like, I do think Beal's defense has been a little bit overharped on. Like, it's not good, but um, outside the year where the Wizards were, like, the worst defense in league history, I think he's, like – he's competent. At least he can play – um, okay enough. Um, but when you put him with jaw together, like I know ja has been a little bit better this year. I still question how good his defense is going to be, um, at the highest level. Um, because I don't, I still don't think it's been that great this year. Like it's again, he's fighting more, but I still think his yeah. technique's pretty poor. Um, but again, I mean, like I'm not trying to totally like poo poo that, but I, I do like it's just like it's one of the things where it does make me question a little bit, especially given uh, Brad's injury history too. But,
0: Yeah, that's a good call too, especially when comparing it to John Morant, who's also a guy that tends to miss 20 games a year. It's a good call. It's definitely something they'd have to consider. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to transition from talking about a potential trade that could make a contender to talking about NBA trades that could shake up rosters and rosters in desperate need of shakeups. So we will be right back. Mark, we are back. I want to talk about this Eric Gordon, Jay Crowder, KJ Martin thing that Sham Sharania reported earlier this week. Strange deal. Like strange idea for a deal. I will say that on Friday last week, I noted the idea of someone like a Jay Crowder to Milwaukee. Um not an accident that I did that ahead of <laughs> Shams reporting that mm-hmm. I will say. Um, I had not heard anything about like Eric Gordon and KJ Martin being involved. Obviously there have been, I believe KJ Martin may have requested a trade earlier this season. Is that right, Mark?
1: Yeah. He requested a trade in the summer. Um, and then I don't, he didn't quote unquote rescind it as far as I'm aware, but I I mean, Kelly Eco reported that he's been really happy. They, made him more centralized in his role. He's played really damn well this year, too. Yeah. Um, So I do wonder how much that's on the table, but they have to pay him this summer, and they have to pay a lot of guys in the next year or two. So it's definitely still up in the air, it feels like.
0: Definitely feels like it's up in the air. Um, I guess that so this purported deal would have been Jay Crowder to Milwaukee, Eric Gordon and K.J. Martin to Phoenix, and then four second-round picks to Houston, if I remember correctly, right? Yuck.
1: Yeah. No, I Did you just say yuck. Yeah, like what the fuck is four second round picks doing? Like I that's alright, man. Like, yeah, no, sure. I think I I believe that was a reported deal, but that just like made me like puke in my mouth. A
0: look bit. Here's the thing, KJ Martin is worth a first round pick, I think.
1: Just straight up. I agree. Like,
0: I don't I don't know if Eric Gordon is I think he probably is worth a late first round pick. But K.J. Martin is worth a first-round pick, in my opinion. He has played in a really uh, interesting way this season with his athleticism, his ability to be a weak side rim protector that he showcased throughout his career. Uh, and then the shooting has looked a little bit better. And He's just looked a little bit more polished overall, I would say, as a player, which, of course, happens as you turn 21, 22, uh, whatever he is now. I believe he's maybe still 21. Is that right, Mark? Are you looking at his page? I'm
1: checking. Uh, he is 22 now.
0: 22
1: now. So, oh no, he's not. Yeah, no, Never mind. it's his age 22 season, but yeah, he's 21 for another month.
0: There we go. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't understand why they would move KJ unless he just wants to be moved, but there's no way you can move him for like the equivalent of like two second round picks or like a second round pick. I don't think. Like, if you actually put him on the market, I think that someone will come with an interesting offer.
1: Yeah. No, like honestly, if I'm the Bucks, I would rather trade for KJ than than Jay. That's like, the
0: thing. That's actually what I was going to ask you. Would you rather have KJ Martin or would you rather have Jay Crowder if you're a team trying to win a title this year?
1: Um, I think on uh, that's where it gets a little tough because, like, I think Jay to Jay for what the what the Bucks need is probably who makes more sense. But for me, like, I think if I'm the Bucks, like KJ. Part of this is I'm biased because I love KJ Martin. I wrote like 3000 words about him last year and why I thought he could be like a, I don't think he's ever going to be an all-star of course, but like a guy who ends up being like an all-star level role player, because again, like, like you mentioned, I think if the shot really comes around and it tends to be when he gets more minutes, the shot looks better. Um, Like he really needs to be a volume guy. And I mean, like like the handle's gotten a little bit tighter. He's gotten better at defending on the ball this year. He's doing all the things that make him a little bit more capable of playing the three. I still don't think he's fully there. But like you mentioned, I think I always look at this Bucks team as a team that needs more athleticism. Like they're very low on athleticism outside of what Giannis brings. And I think KJ would bring a ton of pop that I'd like to think Buck would – Buck, geez. Bud would be able to really work into the offense. Uh, I think that he would bring a lot that I like defensively too. Allow them to – have some more intriguing smaller lineups than what their small lineups typically tend to be. Um, I just really like how he could look alongside them because he'd be getting easy stuff off of much easier stuff than he's getting in the Rockets offense right now. Um, Again, like the shot really has to be there. So I think that's why there would be more pause on, on whether or not they would make the move for Jay or or KJ, but I would heavily consider it.
0: I think for them, I would rather have, J. Yeah. And the only reason I say that is because I don't think KJ right now, unless they decide to just like keep that non-guaranteed year and just keep him. If they decide this is a two-year deal worth $3.8 million and we're just gonna keep KJ Martin on that super cheap deal for the next two years, then yeah, that becomes interesting because KJ Martin has a non-guaranteed next year, uh, year next year in a similar way to how Jalen Brunson did, for instance, mm-hmm. where the team that, or no, it, it has to be a team option is like there. Ha- I'm sure that the Rockets made it. So it's like a team option or a non-guarantee. I'll need to look into that, but like I'm sure that that's the case. They can either decide to pick that up or not pick it up, and he can be a restricted free agent at the end of this year or an unrestricted free agent at the end of 2024. So I, I, if I was Milwaukee, maybe I would just pick up that second year for $1.9 million. And I think I would rather have KJ then than have Jay Crowder for like 13 million for a year. Even if Jay maybe helps you a little bit more this year, the thing that I worry about with KJ is can he actually get to the point as a shooter by the end of the year where teams are willing to close out on him? Not just like, can he make them, but to where teams will actually defend him out there because that's the difference, right? Like, they need to surround Giannis with four shooters. And if teams just aren't going to give a fuck, if KJ is out there and just leave him in the corner and then collapse out on Giannis, it's going to make everything harder, which Definitely. would then mean that KJ wouldn't be able to play with Giannis, which makes it a little bit less valuable. But if you think you can work with the shot over the course of the next like 12 months, maybe then it becomes something interesting. Right. Definitely. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. The other weird thing about Milwaukee is, like, Joe Ingles is going to, like, be back at some point,
1: theoretically. I am. And that's, that's going to be a trade to, deadline acquisition. Yeah. <laughs> but is it, like, I'm not trying to be harsh, but, like, what did Joe do pre-injury that year that looked good? Like, I, 40% I think, like.
0: percent from three. That's, like he that's can what shoot, he's gonna bring. I just yeah. I
1: he really struggled defensively in Utah yeah. in that last year. And I just I do question what that's gonna look like. And you like we talked about, like I mean, I, again like I guess that, that does factor in, but in terms of actual playoff playability, <laughs> I do have real questions about what that's gonna look like. I maybe would I'm you too have, well on that. But.
0: Would you rather have Joe Ingles or Jay Crowder
1: in the playoffs? Oh, Jay Crowder for sure. Um,
0: I think I agree with you because of the defense and because they have three guys that can handle the ball already in Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. But I think that like, I think Jay is on that level now as a player. I think that the fit for Jay is better in Milwaukee than Joe. But I think that that's the level Jay is now. Like, I think that... People maybe didn't quite recognize that Jay also showed some slippage. Last.
1: Yeah, no, he definitely did. But I, maybe I'm being too harsh on Joe. But um, it, it I, I probably would not. I, I probably would have him a little bit above where, where I'm at with Joe right now.
0: Yeah, like Jay Crowder last year shot 39.9% from the field and 34.8% from three i thought showed some real signs of slowness defensively as well um and you can't just say that like oh he was taking time off like he's taking a year off like he was on a contender last year and that was a real thing so i don't know but if i was milwaukee i'd be trying to do better than jay crowder i think but i also recognize that like maybe jay is like the best they can do for a reasonable price right yeah
1: no that's a fair point um yeah, I mean there are other guys I want to mention, but I know we're going to bring them up in, in in next few things, so definitely.
0: And then for Phoenix, like of course you're going to try and go get KJ Martin and Eric Gordon, right?
1: Like, yeah. if, if they do that, it solves a lot of problems for them, especially for how they like to run their offense. Like, if because uh, I think that's 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 what I would really like to see for them getting a real viable. Obviously, KJ is not a five, but like he can do a lot of the screen and roll five things that. I think Phoenix could really unlock that aspect of him that would be really exciting about, you yeah. know, kind of changing, get, giving them a real change of pace off the bench because their their front court has been a little bit of a mess behind DeAndre Ayton. Um, obviously, more four and, or five, not at the three, but.
0: Yeah, well, even outside of Lawndale as well.
1: Yeah. Like, like I mean, I yeah, because
0: Jock's sorry, been but, okay.
1: Yeah, Jock's been, well. he, he's been fine, but like, it's just, again, like, I think like getting, getting to the point where, you have, like, abilities to go, like, okay, well, if when Cam is back, um, if they really want to go, like, okay, what if we are playing as a smaller team? We, we throw KJ at the five, you know, have Cam, Mikhail, Devin, and, like, campaign out there for a lineup. And it's like, okay, well, we can just be, like, we're going to switch all of our forwards and we'll just hang with this. And it's going to be running in transition. Like, just giving them more options because, again, like, their biggest issue is just it, it is shooting the shooting depth behind, like you've seen it so much with missing cam, like their, their bench the other night against in the game against the Rockets, like it, they didn't, they did not show up to play to be, to be completely blunt, but they also lost that game because their bench couldn't hit anything. Like their bench right now is like Landry Shamet just has had his minutes totally slashed and I don't mind it. Like he's been pretty rough this year, but they don't really have consistent shooting threats and it's been, it's been a problem. Um, but yeah.
0: Well, I mean, so put it this way. I don't even know that it's like shooting. It's can you do literally anything else on a court other than shoot, right? Like they played Tory Craig and Dario Saric in that game against New Orleans for 57 minutes. They also played Landry Shamit and Damian Lee for 47 minutes. So that's basically two out of the five positions on the court over the course of the full game were a combination of Dario Saric and Tori Craig and Landry Shamit and Damian Lee. And that's just not going to get it done, yeah. right? Like just end of the day, it's not going to get it done when you're in the playoffs. Obviously, Cam Johnson will solve a lot of this. He will take up 35 minutes of the Saric and Craig minutes. But they need something. Like they, they need something else and particularly mm-hmm. – they desperately need another creator, even if only for the regular season. And let's let's be as charitable as we can to Chris Paul, and say that he is taking it a bit easier in the regular season, knowing that they can make the playoffs, in order to like give a last hurrah in the playoffs, right? Yeah. But he has not looked good as a creator this year. The, the like He has actually looked pretty poor for a creator this year. And if he's not what he can be, I mean, this team can't win a title at the end of the day anyway, because they need two options in the backcourt with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Otherwise, teams will just load up on Devin and be able to stop him. And I think it'll really bog down this offense in a substantial way. But more than anything, if only to lighten the load on Devin throughout the regular season, I think they need another creator like an Eric Gordon who can use ball screens, who can space the floor and can at least just give them another option.
1: Yeah, no, I agree in entirety. Like they really have been lacking that player. Um, I I even thought last year, like there were times where I, I really felt that they missed having another guy who could create like that. Um, and honestly, like, I mean, to be truthful too, like campaign has been really solid. Stepping in as a starter, I think yeah. Chris Paul's back now, but like again, like he's been there like they need just another guard with size who I think can really attack and and create more and continue offense um and i like I think Eric would bring that um uh, Gordon right now, I guess is a good question to 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 bounce off
0: what do I think of Eric Gordon right now, yeah. I would like to see him in a competitive situation.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a fair way to put it.
0: <laughs> like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I think he can create offense and I think he can shoot. But, like, I think that, you know, defensively he has not looked very good this year. And, obviously, he's shooting, like, 35% from three so far this year. So the shot hasn't fallen. I haven't seen a lot of drop-off offensively in terms of the way he separates at the very least. I just yeah, I hasn't. Totally fallen, and like he just doesn't look like he wants to like defend, knowing that this isn't like a wildly competitive team. So, I I don't know, like maybe he has lost something defensively, but I'd take the risk if I was Phoenix and find out. But I said that last year too, I thought that they should have traded for him last year.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that they should have gone in for it last year too, but you know, hindsight, um, but. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's a solid move for them. What other things do you kind of look at and go like, hmm, if you're if you're the Suns though,
0: that's where it gets fun. Yeah. Um, I don't. It's hard you have to look around at the teams that might be out of it, right? So, like, if you're the Spurs, like Josh Richardson, maybe, but uh, he doesn't help with the creation, right? Uh, Charlotte. I mean, they're not going to move LaMelo. I don't quite – I mean, like maybe you try and get Terry Rozier, but like Terry isn't really going to fit with you defensively. He can shoot and that will help you. Like you could play Terry in the playoffs, I think. Um, I mean, I I can't – it's hard to find the guy. Like it's truly hard to find the guy that like really lines up for them maybe like an
1: Alec Burks or something like from Detroit could help. Yeah, And he's actually played pretty well. Offensively, he's played well. The defense has been a mess, which I think like that's probably similar to Eric Gordon, like you mentioned. I think like he was a fine defender with the Knicks, so I think that he'd get back to it. But yeah, the, I mean, Detroit's, Detroit's defense as a whole this year has been like my biggest disappointment on the season. Um, yeah, One of them at least – um but yeah I agree like I think he would do things that are are beneficial. I think he could play, you know, 15 to 20 minutes in a playoff game and be fine. Um but it's also like okay, well like how much is this moving the needle, you know? Yeah. It's it's like it's a very fine line that I just don't really know how to parse through sometimes. Um Well like we, so here's a name. Like Delon Wright I think would help them a little bit.
0: Delon has the hamstring injury right now yeah. and like hasn't played a crazy amount, but like six foot five, can create offense, good defender. Like, but again, he helps them more if Chris Paul is Chris Paul, not if Chris Paul is this diminished version of Chris Paul. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. Um, let's go to some other teams here because I, I want to talk about uh, the Heat and the Mavs, particularly. Uh, you and I, I kind of just every week I ask you like. What do you want to talk about? Right. And the first thing that you said was the heat. So I kind of mm-hmm. try to figure out a construct that works for this. Right. Uh, so the idea I came up with, like, was NBA shake up teams, like teams that need a shake up a trade, some sort of roster movement that makes sense. And the heat, I think, really kind of fit that Bill for a number of reasons. So the Heat currently, I don't know what they did. Uh, did they play tonight? I know that they won last night, but I don't think that they play tonight. I'm
1: looking right okay.
0: now. So they're 13 and 15. They had oh my god! I mean, Mark, you watched that Indiana game because you alluded to it earlier. Is that the winner so far for ugliest NBA game of the year? 87 That's gotta to 82.
1: Yeah, I thought it was I thought we were going back to like o three o four Eastern Conference Finals right there. So it's like, yeah. Um that was not good. Uh I actually like it oddly enough like that's one of the wins that I look at I'm like that didn't feel like a win. Um <laughs> like I think that like obviously you can pull things from the defense cuz I do think the defense looked pretty good. Um and even then like they have the 7th ranked defense right now, but it's felt very up and down at times. Like I think part of it's just been like are they getting up to play? But um You know, when they have Jimmy in the lineup, I'm not really worried about what the defense is because they tend to sort that out. Um, The offense has just been abysmal this year. Um, Like, absolutely dreadful to watch. And it's not just like uh, they're missing shots or this and that. Like, they take forever to run into sets. They don't play with a ton of pace. Um, It doesn't really feel like they are consistently getting anything that feels easy um and that's bad like when you are a team that has thrived on triple handoffs and being you know just playing really intuitive basketball and you can't rely and lean into that and and that's yeah. what that's how they scrape together good offenses um they really lack that i think one of the i, I don't mean this as like a, a shot at tyler here like i've enjoyed tyler here this season he's been really good in his role as a starter um but I also just don't think it's quite been the right fit in the starting lineup to a degree. Like he's been really good as a scorer. The three point shooting has been awesome, but his he's not getting deeper pain touches. I actually think that I, I wouldn't say that he's regressed as a playmaker, but it almost feels like he's leaned in even more to being a shot maker. So it's very much so in the, okay, well, if I'm not making this, then it's a fast break the other way. Um, or, It just is a possession that dies. And I think they've really lost a lot of the flow and continuity that you could feel in their offense, which was what made the heat to me, fun to watch. I think for, for, for the casual fan, I think the heat were not a fun team to watch because like they would grind out offensive possessions through like the house of a thousand screens. It's how they play. Um, And it just doesn't feel the same. And part of that is too, like, I mean, Duncan Robinson has just never really returned to that level um, that I think that they obviously had hoped he would, be when they signed yeah. him um, and sneakily to, well not sneakily, but like as much as we talk about how good Bam is, they are incredibly undersized across the board. And they I are. think that's been a massive issue for them uh, on offense. Like, I think that's part of some of their shows are okay. When, when you don't have guys who are there on the offensive glass consistently, or you have threats that you can drop it to in the paint, especially considering like bam is so often either rolling or, operating as the handoff guy or creating himself. There's just less avenues for easy scoring on the inside. Um, so, I mean, and that's well noting too. Like Bam has been really damn good this season. Like the defense, he's playing at like a DPOY level. Um, the offense from him, like I'm not going to say he's quote unquote taking another step this year, but the last 10 games, it feels like he's really up that aggression um, yeah. it's the stuff you want to see from him. But again, it's like everything else outside of it has not been good. I think I, Kyle has been fine for when you're considering uh, who he is at this point. No, when you're consider, I mean, when you're considering that this is 36 year old Kyle Lowry, like it's okay, but it's not what they, like they need more, like they need a lot more than that. But I think you're also baking in like there needed to be more than this coming out of the roster. Um, it just like the paint t- paint touches from guards in general are just pretty non existent right now. Um or yeah, paint touches, I should say. Like like Kyle can get to the paint, but he when I can't remember the last time that he looked at the basket when he went inside. Um yeah. so it's just what is the actual impact? Um it's been very rough, um offensively. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm glad that the thing you started with was I want to be careful how I say this because I think Tyler hero is like a genuinely necessary part of their offense, yeah. given how little scoring they have. But when Tyler operate, it becomes the Tyler hero show when the heat have the ball and they hand the ball over to him. Right. Very little of it seems like it's within the flow. Now, like, maybe you can make a case that like there is no flow with the Miami heat right now. And they need someone who can operate and orchestrate outside of that. Right. But like you said, it's just not who they are. Right. And I think that they need hero to be able to operate a little bit more within the flow of things and operate a little bit more as like a secondary guy next to Jimmy as opposed to like, I don't know, like when they play together, it almost feels like they're taking turns a little bit, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the whole offense has felt like it. Um, yeah. Because it's, oh, it's weird. Like as good as Jimmy has been this year, it's still like it just his impact feels a little bit muted offensively. And I think, again, part of that is just what the collective shooting has been, especially from the bench. Um, and that's what's so difficult because I think like Tyler's not playing differently than he did last year. Um, and I think that's part of the risk that you ran by moving him into the starting lineup. Like, okay, well, what he did last year worked incredibly well for the bench. Like the bench was built around him and everything he brought as a scorer. Um, but also, okay, well, his role hasn't changed this year. So how do you build in the starters around that? How does that factor in and look? And it, the answer is not good right now. But I think, again, like part of the issue is like, okay, well, if you are getting a little bit more from some of the other guys, does it look better? Does it look different? Um, if Kyle's more aggressive or more assertive when he is in the paint, does that make things look different? I, I don't. I think that it's a little bit of both for sure. But, um, I mean, that's then going to the bench. Um, like, they're, Dwayne Dedman has been rough this year. Uh, I think that's been one of the more sore spots on the team has been what his minutes are. Like, I need to look at the finishing numbers. It feels like he can't make a layup inside right now. Um, and then defensively, like, they've been – using him as a, as a show guy a lot more and drop, and it's not good. Because, again, like, I get in principle why they're doing it. Same thing with why they're so active as a switch defense. But, again, the problem is, okay, well, you have Caleb Martin on the back line. I don't know why I said it, it was like a two-syllable thing, but, like, you have Caleb Martin on the back line, and, like, Caleb Martin is a – he tries his ass off. He plays really hard, but he's 6'4". Like, I think they are so willing to give up some of the switches and stuff that they do – and be as aggressive as they are with Bam, and teams are like, okay, cool, do that. We're going to, you know, boomerang pass it and get it to the post, and quick mismatch. Like it's it's simple yeah. for us. And again, like as good as the defense has still been, I do think like that has been a real source spot, especially when you are talking about the bench and what that looks like. Um, it, I I don't like that. Feels like an easier fix to like get okay. Like we've talked about this before. Like Kelly Olynyk to the Heat would be phenomenal for them be a godsend everything. because like i would honestly i would start kelly <laughs> like i would put Kelly. Cal- oh like, totally yeah yes. like easily yes. like i would start kelly with bam move caleb back to the bench um just to see if that can a regenerate some of their offense because caleb like caleb's been really good this year i i don't know if i'd quite have him as like a full-on starting level player but the shot is real now like it's still very wonky looking but it goes in and it's on volume and he's a monster in transition um that's you know that's pretty close to being a starting level player, um, but well, like,
0: so like here, here's what you do then like to me if you get Kelly Olynyk I think the floor opens up way more yeah which I think then allows you to potentially move Hero back to the bench and like maybe Hero just doesn't well, yeah go back that's to the I to like, um,
1: I don't think like, yet. I don't think you can like that's the problem but like
0: if you're playing fucking thirty five minutes a night like. I don't know. But like, if he's playing 35 minutes a night, it doesn't fucking matter. Right. So like, if he comes off the bench or if he starts, cause he's probably going to be closing games at 35 minutes a night. Yeah. Like, if they would go out and get a Kelly Olympic, like to me, that's the, that's, that's a smart move for them. More size, shooting, processing and passing and playmaking and everything like that. that Kelly brings just by being an unselfish guy. That's a really smart move for them that theoretically should not cost a lot. Yeah. Um, now, maybe Danny Ainge is not the best guy to trade with. And Pat Riley and Danny Ainge certainly do not have the best trade uh, history. If you go back and look through some of the Pat Riley quotes about trying to deal with Danny Ainge, uh, I-, I believe that there is one that particularly stands out. It is Danny Ainge needs to shut the fuck up and manage his own team. <laughs> it was one uh, thing that was stated, I believe, back in 2013. So maybe maybe not the easiest deal to get done. So is there another option for them outside of Kelly Olenek?
1: I think what's difficult too is even if they got Kelly Olenek, like that doesn't push them into contender status for me. Like I think that, that makes them better. I think that makes them a more solidified playoff team. But then again, like it's still not enough. Um like their tr- like Victor Oladipo is back now. I want to go back in and watch more of his minutes. Uh but I think he's again, it's kind of the wild card thing of all right, well how do we work him in without you know really getting out of the flow of what we have. The benefit is like they don't have a flow at all right now, so I don't really think that there's any detriment to playing him. You know what he's bringing in defensively. Um, so I think bring finding him as a ball handler just because Gabe Vincent has really struggled this year. Like I think he does good things. He's really good at, you know, snaking, being in the paint and opening things up, but the shot hasn't been there for him. And I think that's really mitigated what he can do out of pick and roll. So I think like Victor, especially like adding him just as a guy who can less about initiating but more like what he can do as a second side guy. But again, the shot has to be there for him. And that has been like very up and down. So it it's In terms of like actually making moves, like again, I think that they're like, I would, I don't know if they have the horses to do it, um, or I guess I should just say like capital to do it, but like if PJ Washington was to become available, that is like the guy for Charlotte for me. Like I think he fits in so much to what they do. He's just a smart player. I think he would fit incredibly well alongside Bam. They played together, didn't they? Did they play together for a year at Kentucky? Mm, I want to say PJ missed by a year. I thought it's it, it has to have been close. I can't remember because PJ played two years at Kentucky, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. But regardless, like I think that's like, even though that's still a small front court, like that's where you you start talking. Like I think that's talented enough that I don't care. Like you can have a obviously a third guy off the bench who is bringing more size and a different look, but. To me, like, that's the kind of guy who really makes a difference for this team. Um, Even if it's not, like, perfect with what they need, I think that fits into more what their mold has typically been because I just don't know what on-ball guy they're getting who is going to come in and and really change things. Like, I I think they kind of have to make their bed with uh, – they They made their bed with who they're – with what their guard room is right now. Like, I don't see how you're moving Lowry – Um I also don't know why. Like, I, I think it's it's in a tough spot because it's like they need a lot of what Lowry brings while also needing more out of him. So it almost feels like, okay, well, what if we just loosen things up and make it easier on him and not need him to, to do it quite as much um, by just yeah. getting better secondary players? Um, but again, like that's a really tough line to, to tell. And then you're already thinking about, okay, well, then what does this look like when he's 37 next year? So it's, it's in a it's in a weird spot for Miami,
0: well, you know if there's one thing we can count on it's for Pimperon eighteen to come up
1: with another Kuzma team <laughs>
0: with another kuzma team baby this makes sense like this is this is a Kyle Kuzma situation. he gets to go down to Miami gets to show off the fashion, he actually helps them like he he yeah. really would help them a lot, I think like that actually, I think that that is the guy I would target if I was them,
1: yeah. I I mean I like it. I think Kuz fits pretty much anywhere, like especially there. I think he wouldn't really have to change up all that much from what he's doing in Washington right, right. now. Um, which would help. Um Yeah, no, I, I mean I I have I have no problems with that one.
0: The the question is, like, what do you move for him? Like I, I don't know what Miami can do to actually get a Kyle Kuzma because they have some future assets out. And I don't know if this is the situation where with Kyle Lowry at 36, Jimmy Butler at 33, Victor Oladipo at 30, Duncan Robinson taking up a massive cap number. Like there's no way Washington can take back Duncan Robinson in a Kyle Kuzma deal for salary matching. Like you just can't do that. So like, I, I find it hard to believe that they would give the best offer in a Kyle Kuzma deal if Washington decides to you know, kind of tank and move on here.
1: Kyle is much more like if they were able to get to free agency this year, I think that Kyle can yeah. play for them. Um, But yeah, I agree. I just don't because the issue too, for, for, for Washington is if they're moving Kuzma, then, okay, they need to offload everything. Like, cause they're in like, like we've talked about this too. Like mm. they're just in like the, well, not offload everything, but like, yeah, I'm they're not really that. in a position where they can just take back a bunch of players. Like, how is that right. fitting in? How is that working? Because all right, if you actually want to shift into playing your young guys more, well, that's difficult because none of your young guys are really anybody who you want running things on ball. Um, so that makes it interesting. Uh, Washington is just a mess. I don't know what to, to think about them. I know they've they've been really unfortunate with injuries this year, to be fair. But, I mean, they're what? I think 0-6 in their last six games. So I know they've lost at least their last five, but I'm pretty sure they lost one before that too. Um, and Porzingis is going to be out for a little bit now. It's just like, it, like, like you're, like you're mentioning, it feels like something is pretty, cause this is, we're already hitting like the second year of this happening. Um, so granted, I think some things have been better than it was last year, but not great.
0: Yeah. Th- they gotta do like, they have to do it right. They have to move on. <laughs>
1: We said that they for, don't for, they for don't. the Grunfeld years for a long time, so it you know it never happened. Um, yeah, also just free Daniel Gafford, somebody get Daniel Gafford. Um, well, it's
0: funny, like they were doing some interesting, like Gafford Porzingis stuff, and it was Porzingis. looking really good too. Yeah, and, like I don't know, man. Yeah, Gafford, I don't think Gafford is the Miami guy necessarily, yeah. but like I, I think that Washington. If they would decide to strip this thing down a little bit, right? Washington could theoretically control a pretty sizable amount of the market here in terms of the trade market. Like they could control the star end of the market with Bradley Beal, they could control like the starter side of the market. Like Mm -hmm. if they could move Porzingis and Kuzma, they could control the role player part of the market with like DeLon Wright and Monte Morris and guys like that. Like they theoretically could really do this. You know what I mean?
1: If they wanted, yeah.
0: It just depends on if they want to. And that's a Ted Leonsis decision more than it's a Tommy Shepard decision. It seems like, but I don't know if I was them. I think it's time. Like yeah. I just straight up think it's time for them. We, we're past time to blow this thing up and like make a move. And I know that shitty for wizards fans. Like I know that wizards fans want a winner Yeah, and they're the sick shit. of not making the playoffs. Like
1: every wizards fan I've talked to is like, we just want it to, we want to feel good about our direction. And like, it just yeah. doesn't, I mean, I don't, I don't feel good about their direction. That's part of why I really didn't like the Przingis trade for them. Like I get it on one hand, like, okay, you, yeah. You get a guy, and to be fair, like he's played really well this year. Like, I think this is the best I've felt about him since um, he came back before he had the injury in the bubble. Like, he was playing like a near all NBA year there, and now, um, again, injured. And I I don't think it's going to be terrible, but uh, yeah, it's they're just in such a weird spot, man.
0: Yeah. Also, by the way, another guy that could like help some teams, could also help Miami theoretically, is Will Barton right? Like if Will Barton can do anything, like he's the kind of guy that theoretically makes sense. He hasn't been very good this year, unfortunately, but you know, I I still think Will could do some things, but because Will hasn't been awesome this year, I would imagine that the cost is low, which probably helps Miami in that circumstance, right? So Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Yeah, it's it's. how would you feel about Porzingis to Miami?
1: What are they trading? Is probably what my question would be. Um, like, I think, I mean, it could be interesting. Like, I I think, like, because he's, I mean, one of the things that's been cool to see is, like, I think he's grown quite a bit as a passer this year, which has been has been nice. I do wonder, like, how willing Spo is going to be to, I mean, he's generally been very willing to find ways to work guys in, to be fair. Like, he's, he's not Rick Carlisle. But, like, I do think yeah. that there would be, like, there could just be some awkwardness in trying to figure out how to get the most out of him while also getting the most out of everyone else. Like, it would just... I mean, in terms of just adding sheer talent, like, I think that if you have the right deal, then I would try it. Um, Because
0: there's not really a way to do this for what it's worth unless you move Duncan Robinson. and, And that's assuming they don't move Kyle Lowry. And I just feel like Kyle Lowry... Like, I don't know. That feels like a team that does... In an organization that does well by guys that they sign... And I don't know that they would sign Lowry just to move him a year and a half later, yeah, especially like an older Kyle Lowry. I don't know that doesn't seem right to me,
1: yeah, yeah no, I agree it would it would look very weird um, I well since we I, since we mentioned Gafford, I do think that that is, that is an interesting inflection point because I brought this up on Twitter the other day. It doesn't solve everything for the Mavericks, but I would love to see them like take a fire on somebody like Gafford because I do think that one of the things that. They're, uh, I mean, like they are in a very, very weird spot with what they're. Let's,
0: let's start with just that. Yeah. What have you thought of Dallas this year? I
1: don't like watching them play basketball. Um,
0: I hate watching them play basketball. That is actually my number one takeaway. That team has Luka Doncic, who is one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA. And I fucking hate watching that team play basketball.
1: Yeah. It's not fun. Um, Like their offense is just anemic. Uh, and I think what is frustrating on one hand is like, I think as soon as guys start shooting better, this probably looks a little bit differently and maybe they'll talk themselves into saying we don't need to make a move. But then again, I think the exact same issues are going to come up in the playoffs, which again, to be fair, they made the Western conference finals last season, but I think the same issues will rear their head. Um, I I do struggle with how much this front office just leaned into, Mm -hmm. well, we're not going to do much and we'll wait till next year. I think with how well Luca is playing, that's I would be pretty pissed if they don't do anything at the trade deadline and something significant, not like just we're going to try and pick up an eighth man. <laughs> yeah. Like I think they have to do something more than that. Um, it Like the biggest frustration for me has just been the things that worked for them last year. They aren't playing at the same level. Like it's not hitting in the same way. Part of that has been trying to figure out everything with Christian Wood for sure. Um I don't think that the defensive fall off is strictly because of the guys that they did move on from. I think a lot of the defensive fall off does just have to do with the shift that they've made in personnel. I don't think they've played to the same like extent that they did last year in terms of just their communication and overall effort and granted like their their defense fell off as the year went on too to be fair um but overall, like I think that just i mean talking to people in Dallas, like the overall attentiveness just has not been there generally, even in just watching games too. I felt that, but it's the, it's the offense is just gross, man. Like it's the seventh ranked offense, but it's, that is the worst seventh ranked offense I've, I've seen because it's just a shot making fest. Like Luca is, I mean, granted Luca's a wizard. He's extremely fun to watch. He does incredible things with the ball on his hands that you can't stop. But the issue is it's okay. Luca's doing stuff with the ball on his hands or, Spencer Dinwiddie is isolating it, and it never really feels like there's any kind of secondary stuff going on. It's very much one and done offense. Um, it, I mean, it just hasn't hit in a way that I like the Luca and wood minutes are, are fine. Like there's good stuff there, but it also just Jason Kidd doesn't feel super willing to lean into that in closing lineups and what that can be. Um,
0: I mean, here's the thing, though. Would you, with the way that that t- those two players defend?
1: No, I get that. Like, I I totally understand that. Um, but at the same time, too, it's like, okay, well, what other options are there? Like, what else are we supposed to do? What are we leaning into that's making us a better team? And it is not what they're doing right now. And I think part of what's been difficult too, like, and maybe part of this is just because overall ball movement is worse. Like, I, Spencer Dinwiddie is having a nice individual season but i do think that i would really like to see him be more of a secondary guy cuz like even though he is a quote unquote secondary on the team like he plays like a primary like he's getting Well
0: yeah like here here's the question i want to ask you is like a follow up here in terms of the offense like you look at Spencer Dinwiddie's box score numbers and they're really really good like he's averaging like 16 points 6 six assists i think he has like a 4 to 1 assist to turnover ratio he's shooting 41% from 3 i feel like feel like he doesn't like add much
1: weirdly no i would agree with that i don't i th- like yeah no i don't i don't his defense has been really bad I, I he's just point blank his defense has not been good enough um he gets blown by constantly like he can do some okay things as a help defender but i don't think that it's always there and the, the on ball has been bad if his shots not falling it's kind of the same thing we just talked about with tyler like He's averaging five assists, but I think that's more like, okay, I don't have a shot. I'm passing the ball. Like it's, it feels very like Karis Levert grenade assist more than like straight up. I'm creating real advantages and getting you open shots. Um, and to, and again, to be fair too, like Dorian Finney Smith has not been the same offensive player this year. Part of that is the shot, not being there, but it just doesn't feel like the the advantages and openings that were there for their secondary players last year have been there in the same way. Like, Dorian Finney-Smith was awesome putting it all together last year and really becoming a a dribble-pass-shoot wing. Like, there's always going to be questions with the shot. Teams are always going to test him in the playoffs. But during the regular season, like, that was a real guy who can keep the offense moving, operate within it. Um, And it just hasn't been good this year in terms of his overall finishing – uh, and that's been a problem. And like his handle hasn't felt right either, which is weird after it looking like way better last year. I mean, the the one positive thing has been Josh Green. Like I think that they're starting to find more ways to include him, make things work. But at the same point too, like Josh Green is twenty two years old. I don't. He's still very limited, even though he is yeah. finding more ways to be impactful. Um, like Dwight Powell is nice at times, but. Again like Dw-
0: Dwight is Dwight is very good at his role of screening and rolling. Uh Dwight is not awesome at anything else. The thing is though that when you have Luka Doncic and you're screening and rolling every possession multiple times, it's a really helpful thing to have out there, right?
1: Yeah. Exactly. But it feels like almost uh and maybe this is being unfair to Dwight cuz I don't mean I, I think Dwight is still a very capable one-year rotation player but like it almost feels like Dwight is in that spot of it's like, oh, well we played JaVale McGee for the first 10 minutes, 10, 10 games of the season. Dwight looks pretty awesome now. Doesn't he like, it's like, yes. But like, what if you just had a center who was capable or or just a big, who was capable of playing, you know, in more scenarios, being a little bit more versatile, bringing more than just being a screen roll guy. And I think like, again, like Gafford's not perfect, but I think like he brings a lot more in theory defensively. Well, not even just theory; Like he brings a lot more defensively. Foul trouble is always a thing, but yeah. like, I just th- like, it, and it's not just like saying like Gafford, like, okay, like that could be a fun Kelly Olenek team. I don't know. I wonder if they actually lean into the things that he can do, but it's like, okay, well, what if you start adding more things than just having like these guys who can really only do one or two things? Well, um, Then it's you know you start talking about like what what is what are we actually trading you know what's there to
0: be I'm like a little bit I'm a little bit less interested in Kelly for them because they already have Maxi Maxi does a lot of similar things playing the four as Kelly does is like your combo big you know what I mean like and I don't know if you want to play both Kelly and Maxi together because neither of them are great rim runners for Luca. Right. And I feel like you always want that high level rim runner for Luca, or maybe you want like multiple floor spacers out there, but I don't, I don't know that then leans into like Luca's potentially like worst habits. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I feel like that just becomes more ball dominant. If you run out like Dorian Finney Smith, Kelly Olenek and Maxi Kleba in the playoffs, right. Mm -hmm. Then like literally every possession is just grinding down with Luca. At the end of the day. Yeah. Um, Funny statistical anomaly so far this year. I, I think it's more that than like an indicator, but the Mavericks are 0-7 this year when Christian Wood plays 28 minutes or more. They are 7-0 and when he plays 25 to 27 minutes in a game. Interesting. I, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like – so like I I wonder if they're looking at it like you know may- maybe we want to keep his minutes like in that twenty five to twenty seven minute range because that's when we're most successful and I think that's kind of like a inconsequential like weird way to look at it but also like Christian Wood does bring you real defensive deficiencies so like if you do try to close with them I think that it's a problem so I don't know it's a it's a weird thing that's happening though right.
1: Oh, very. Yeah. It's just a weird team, man. Like, I don't, I don't, it's, it's hard to have like super concrete opinions on it just because I, I mean, or not that you can't have concrete opinions on it, but more just like, I, I feel like I'm just reiterating a lot of the same things I said at the beginning of last year and it's bland. Um, I think bland is the best way to put it. Um, Well, so, so like here, here, so let's move on. Let's
0: talk about like what they could do. Right. Right. The guy that they need is a guy that can be a secondary ball handler, can defend, and can also, like, knock down shots and play next to Lucas like a super processor, right? Jalen Brunson ticks most of those boxes except for the defensive one, which is why losing Jalen Brunson, I think, has been such an important, critical thing for them. Yeah. And I think it's going to be really hard for them to find something better than Jalen Brunson out there, which is why... I kind of thought they just had to pay him whatever he asked for last year and just bit the bullet. Um, it's hard for me to find the guy that like totally lines up. I will say if I was them, this is a team that I would be very interested in taking a flyer on Emmanuel quickly.
1: Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, quickly would be awesome there. Like I, I love the idea of what he could be in, in, in that group Um being like the actual guard who can um, like, he's still again, like I think ironing things out. And part of it is like just him having a bigger role and being encouraged to, to be more aggressive. Cause he actually is, he's weirdly had moments this year of like being two pass first, um, which Mm -hmm. is like that diminishes his value. Cause like, I think like he's a guy who at his best, like he's, like the the ideal combo guard in my opinion like he's not Tyrese Halliburton but he does a lot of the same principles of like even if I'm not putting tons of pressure on the rim I'm getting paint touches I the floater is very real for him um and he does things so quickly relocates and moves off the ball well like that makes it like feasible for him to really initiate offense and I think um if a team like lean into really playing it with pace and and letting him do things like I think that that could be really good for them. I still just my basic things like the Knicks letting him go would be ridiculous. But um, yeah, if he's available, then fuck. Yeah, Dallas Which, should do that.
0: By the way, it's been reported that yeah. like they're considering it. That's why I bring him up. The thing that hasn't been reported is what Chicago will look to do, period. Right. Um, if this continues along a trajectory where they're, you know, 20 and 30 come the trade deadline and it looks like things are a problem there. Do they look to move an Alex Caruso? Cause Caruso is a guy that I would be willing to pay like a substantial amount. If I was Dallas for
1: definitely. Yeah, no, he would be incredible there. Like that ups their defense automatically. Um, obviously not doing like the full on creator things, but he brings a lot as a passer. Um, yeah. Like that's, that's a no brainer for me. He'd be a starter for them.
0: I think he would be their starting two guard or starting point guard with Luca doing whatever Luca does or whatever you want to call Luca positionally, right? Right. Um, It's then you kind of just look around and it's kind of hard to find the teams that are like totally out of it. I mean, Eric Gordon is theoretically a guy that could make sense, but I, I would almost want someone that's better at the point of attack defensively, which is why Caruso, I think, makes more sense than. Eric Gordon and why I actually worry a little bit about the quickly idea. Um, but I just think that at the end of the day, they need to find someone that can be like a, you know, point guard that can also shoot and take some, some of the load off of Luca. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anyone else out there that you look at and think that's an interesting fit that could work?
1: Yeah. Uh... Not really, because I feel like people will mention Bojan, but I don't love the Bojan fit in in Dallas. Like, I think like obviously there's just like a level that he brings that guys on the <laughs> roster don't have. So on one hand, yes, that's an upgrade, but also I think if you're not really being creative in how you're getting him the ball, um, and also really incorporating movement sets, which I just don't trust Dallas' offense to do right now, because even yeah. despite the the offense ranking well, like it's not good offense. Like in terms of like actually being compl- complex and not that an offense has to be complex to be good, but you get what I'm saying. Like I think yeah, yeah, yeah. like they need to do more to to be capable of really making things happen. Um, and I just don't trust them in doing that. So to me, it's like just adding another guy who is not really a great ball mover, who is shot or or miss, and it just it, it gets wonky. Uh. I just don't know, who, like who's who's out there that's really available. Like this, this this feels like a really weird trade market here. Like you mentioned, I feel like Washington just has kind of a stranglehold on, on what this could be.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think. Look, is there anyone else you want to talk about here, team wise? Because we still got to get to the Jairus Walker thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll save this for another time. But those are the two teams that I think, like, desperately need a shake-up. The Heat yeah. and the Mavs have to do something, I think. And it's hard for them both because they have limited assets. Like, the Mavs still have the pick-out from the Porzingis deal. The Heat still have a pick-out uh, from what deal? I can't remember what deal. But, like, they, they don't have their full capacity of picks here. Mm-hmm. And anytime that that's the case, it becomes a little bit harder to make a move. And... I don't know. It's it's going to be a tricky one, I think, moving forward for both of those teams. But let's move on. Let's get to the thing that I think we're both really excited to talk about is Jairus Walker. Yes. So let's dive in. Jairus Walker went three of four from the field. I think he had like eight points in the game against Alabama over the weekend. Houston got up big, like 15 points in the second half in that game, and then Alabama came back behind an awesome coaching performance more than anything I thought from Nate Oates, an awesome lead guard performance from Jaden Bradley um, to beat Houston on its home court. Fascinating game for a number of reasons, but we wanted to talk about Jairus Walker, who I'll start here just to give a little bit of time uh, context on where I was on Jairus. I've always liked Jairus. I haven't always loved him. Uh, I've always thought, that the offensive skill level gets a little bit overrated. Personally, uh, I don't totally know what he does at an NBA level in terms of skill offensively right now, while also just absolutely fucking adoring all of the motor, the aggressiveness, the energy, the fact that he's a six foot eight powerhouse with a seven foot two wingspan that like, I think has some potential to play like small ball center in the NBA at some point, if it really breaks, right. Right. Where were you on Jairus coming into the year? Let's start with that conversation.
1: Yeah, I had him like top seven coming into the year. Um, I was really excited about Jairus. And I think what's been interesting in this year is like you're you're mentioning a little bit. Um, I think what is hard with a guy like Jairus is trying not to bake in what could be and envisioning what he could be instead of, you know, like noting, okay, like there are real limitations here. And I think that that's something I've really had to focus in on more this year because like just to add, add like, you know, added context, like when I really first started scouting hard um, in t- like the Cade draft, um, yeah. I went back and I watched IMG versus Montverde, Uh So it's after Cade's gone. So it's, that's like the Caleb Houston, Jalen Duren team at Montford to there like that. I mean, that's one of the most loaded prospect games I've watched in the last couple of years. And, um, I watched Jairus for the first time as a junior, and I, I like, looked and I'm like, is this, like, an RSCI industry plant? And, like, then you know, I saw him his next year, and, like, I mean, like, to be fair, like, you 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 got the idea, watching him, like, okay, this kid's 16, and he's, like, he's 6'8", 250, and looks like he could be starting at defensive end for the Chicago Bears, like, this is insane, yeah. and, but, like, you, you saw the idea, is like, okay, you can handle a little bit, like, he's really physical, but, like, what does this mean? Like, he can't really shoot. I don't believe in his touch. Like, I don't know what's going on here. And then I watched him last year at IMG and that jump up in skill was like insane. Like the, the, yeah. the yeah. feel improved. Like there were real playmaking flashes and not just flashes like consistent. Like he would handle large parts of IMG's offense. Um, like the the defense became like like you mentioned like the real ability to play as a small ball five to be in a, a really impactful rim protector switchable, um, and I think the shot was still a real work in progress. But like it really showed real signs last year of improving. What's been so weird this year, and I this, I know this is a big thought, but like wrangling it all together, and what made it so interesting about him going to Houston is like okay, you had this guy who his whole prospectum is like coming up in I am a wing figuring out or wing forward, big figuring out what the hell I am by doing all these things. And he goes to Houston, a team that is by and large, just about the best team in the country. Obviously they lost this game, but I think they're still right up about there. Um And it's like, okay, well your role is going to be a lot smaller than what that was. And it's like, I think in some hand, some ways, not that I have an answer for this, I just, I always wonder, it's like, okay, well, if he goes the Juju G- G- Jackson route, what does that look like for him to start the year instead of, you know, getting into a, a reduced role? Um, but then again, like we're talking about, like he does not look good in the reduced role offensively. I think that there are some things that looked a little bit better in the Alabama game, but that's more so speaking on how rough it was to start the year. Um, like he is second guessing a lot. He's checking himself out of a lot of things. And then offensively, like, the physicality has not been there, which has been weird to watch. Like, he's taking these floaters all the time. And to be fair, like, he has touch on floaters, but he's 6'8", 250. Like, you got to go up with stuff. Like, there was a play in in the Alabama game where he's on far side of the floor, I mean, close side of the floor towards the camera during the second half, um, gets the ball uh, probably, like, five feet in from the corner, takes a step up, and instead of like, he, he could have dunked it, like straight up just could have dunked it and throws cross-court pass to, I, I believe it was R- Rylan Griffin in the corner. And it's like, good, like I, I get the idea. But for like,
0: people who don't know, Rylan Griffin plays for Alabama.
1: Oh, no, not, not Rylan Griffin. My bad. I'm losing my mind. Uh, I think it was probably Shed or Sasser. But point, point being, um like, makes a really good pass, and I get the why, but it's also the I need you to, to to like take the shot at the rim. like. So it's been a lot of stuff process-wise where it feels like he just doesn't – he doesn't have – his feel right now has has been rough offensively. Well,
0: and then there was that moment that you know, kind of talks about what you're saying where he set a screen on the empty side of the court far side from the camera and I believe it was Sasser hit him with a little pocket pass and he takes a dribble, cocks it back – and tries to throw down on literally the entire team and gets fouled and goes to the foul line. I'd like to see him do that more. Yeah. Just like be that guy. I Go. think that,
1: that's what's hard, too, because like a lot of his role at Houston has just been, okay, spot up in the corner and cut baseline when you have opportunities. There haven't been like tons of role opportunities for him. That's what I thought felt a little bit better in this game. He got more opportunities to screen and roll a little bit um and like you i mean like that play was that was the exact idea it's like okay he doesn't have to think it's one dribble and go like i believe in him to to be able to do that because the issue right now is like a lot of his catch and go stuff like he's gotten called for a ton of travels this year because of yeah just like yeah. he hesitates for a sec and like if you can remove that hesitation i think that's where you can really see some of the good things happening because there were other opportunities like he uh was doing some stuff as as a DHO guy or not even DHO? Well, yeah, I think it was DHO stuff and like or even just like ghost screening. And he had like a, a DHO take, uh, I believe in the first half ends up being like just a drop off pass to to the to the to the dunker spot and like that's perfect. Like that's the stuff I want to see. Like obviously, yes, you need to see him be aggressive and taking those shots at the rim and and just being around the room because this is a guy, like he his free throw rate should be astronomical. Like with should be. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it's not right now. Um, so I, I think that we saw good glimpses in the Alabama game, but also it's it's been telling of just kind of how uh, how rough his acclimation has been to to, to get okay. ready at the college game.
0: Trivia time, Mark Schindler. Oh, boy. How many possessions per synergy do you think Jarris Walker has had as a role man this year in pick and roll?
1: Uh, less than 10.
0: The number is three. Yep. How many do you think he's scored on? None of them. Three. Oh, oh. <laughs> scored on all of them.
1: <laughs> he I went
0: is a legit guy that can do this. Like, I'd love to see them just run ball screen actions for him. Here's the other thing they did super well in that game. They didn't utilize him with it, but they utilized uh, Jawan Roberts with it more so. They used, yeah, Jawan Roberts as a DHO guy. And because they knew Noah Clowney was being super aggressive, hard hedging in the middle of the court, Mm. they would use Roberts as a denial DHO guy. And then he'd just turn and get a wide open lane to the basket. He had one dunk that way and one finish that way where they were super smart and just like schemed ways to get a guy open. I think Jarris can do that stuff for sure. It worked with Jawan Roberts, right? So, like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it on some level. But, like, I think they have the versatility with both of those guys to be able to do it with both of those guys is more my point. And just like for background here, Jairus Walker so far is averaging 9.4 points, 6.7 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 1.1 steals, 1.1 blocks per game, shooting 47.6% from the field, 37.5% from three. Now, All of this comes back to the fact that like he has skill for being a guy that's six foot eight, 240 pounds. I don't know if he has NBA skill right now. You know what I mean? Like it feels a lot like to me, it's a different player and a different type, but like when Jaden McDaniels was coming up out of Seattle, I always thought Jaden McDaniels looked like a great ball handler for someone who is six foot nine, six foot ten, but not actually a guy that could handle the ball in the NBA right now. Because guys will just come down, they'll dig on your handle, they'll cause you all sorts of problems. I didn't think he create shots in the NBA, and if you looked, he's been a very effective player in the NBA, but he hasn't done it by creating shots. Right, he's done it by being a good corner shooter and being a super high level defender. When I watched Jarris, I thought it was more that in terms of skill level. He's nowhere near the shot creator that Jaden was, but I think he's a better passer. And, you know, he could get into the lane. as like a, you know, spotting up in the wing, pump fake, attack, close out, go. Or short roll off of a ball screen, catches, dribble once, Euro steps, tries to finish. And you mentioned the idea of him settling for the floater a lot. He's just trying to get to that Euro step floater all the time, it feels like. Like, it feels like, that's that's the thing he feels most comfortable doing. Like, he has taken, it looks like, 13 floaters this year. So he's taking more than one of those per game, and he's taken 47 shots at the rim, which, like, almost feels like not enough, yeah. right? Like, for what he's capable of, I feel like, he's a real potential finisher. And, like, I guess that part of it is scheme, and part of it is, like, so, like, here, here's what I will I'll, – I'll, you know, hit the ball back to you as if we're, like, playing tennis right now. Do you think that there is a good team in the country that he could initiate offense for right now? Because I'm actually, like, not totally sure. Like, we can talk a lot about the fact that they have Jamal Shedd and Marcus Sasser and all these guys that are going to get most of the opportunities for Houston, Right. But, like, let's put him on – I'm trying to think of a team, right, like off the top of my head that's, like, pretty decent that maybe could use, like, a four-man initiator, right? Like, put him on – put him on, say, Gonzaga, right, where their guards are struggling, right, and you could play him next to Timmy, and theoretically, like, he and Timmy could work reasonably well together if he can shoot. Do, Do you think that, like, that would be an effective source of offense right now? for a college team to do that if he was in a different situation.
1: No, probably not. Um, yeah. I think because, like you mentioned too, like he's really struggled um, seeing guys coming uh, outside of his vision, which like, that sounds like, duh, like, okay, of course he is. But like, he just hasn't really had a good feel for help coming, which has led to, it feels like at least half his turnovers have been off that when he'll, he'll drive in and then a nail nail help comes. And it's like, Oh, there's no help here. Um, he doesn't really seem to be sensing that coming. And I think, like part of it too is like again, like okay, well, if he was he's somebody who like I would love to see get face up opportunities in a in a cleared outside of the floor, and yeah, like like we saw with Jalen Duran at times uh with Memphis, like I think that's a segmented way to get him to to pick apart things with his passing or get a one on one opportunity and again, like not saying that it's effective offense, but it did, is you know like, the team
0: that actually does that well, Dayton did it really well last year with theron Holmes, yeah. Like, I think that that is, like, if I was them, I'd be looking at that offense as much as anything. Don't look at Dayton's offense this year. Yeah, it's a fucking training. <laughs> <It is bad. laughs> but last year, I think they did some really interesting things with own Holmes. So, like, yeah. that's that's another example. You can find ways to do this, I think.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I still, what's, uh, ama- like, I don't know. I never viewed him as, like, I think this guy's going to be, like, uh, some super high-level initiator. But I think the idea is more, like, as he, as he does continue progressing, like I think the idea for him is more like becoming that four or five like that combo big who can do just a little bit of everything while being, you know, starting to hone out like a standout skill. Like, I, and to me, as much as the offense has been a struggle, what has been really awesome is that I think the defense has really popped for me like yeah we didn't talk about it like the the defense in the yeah. Alabama game was legitimately awesome like really good. had really, really like good. he's special in the fact that like as like he's been one of the best low men in the country, like the way that like there are guys who will like they'll put a foot in the lane as a tag like no he two hand tags every single roller every single time, and he had that one uh i, I mean it's been clipped a million times by now in mm-hmm. dally, but like second half um or no, is it, it's first half, and he does his tag. I don't remember who he tags on to. It probably was on Noah Clowney. And Javon Quinterly goes to throw a pass cross-court into the, the – skip it to the slot after you know he's helped and makes just full-on recovery to the slot, steals the ball, and gets fouled on the other end with – gets free throws. And like that kind of thing is – that's a routine play for him. Like he had stuff where I felt like – there were moments, especially like in the Oregon game earlier this year, I felt like he was uh, pretty wary to be helping. Like he seemed like a little bit frozen mud. This game, like he teetered on over helping at times, but to like the level where it was like, he was just making shit happen. Like he had a block um, coming from behind on, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but like point being, like he was defending in the slot and like saw this drive happen. He was like, I think this guy's going for the shot, comes down, gets the block from behind. Like, that's the kind of stuff I view with him. Like, and I mean, it was like, like we talked about with Jaron earlier in terms of trying to scheme guys out. It felt like Alabama was doing everything they could to get him away. Like as, as the game wore on, like, um, not to, not to, not to this again, like not to the same level, but like, I think like Houston was really switching everything. They're like, okay, we need to get you off of our ball handlers. And then he's still in the slot and being impactful. And, um, I yeah, I've really enjoyed his, his defense.
0: I think he's awesome on defense. I think he's awesome on defense in terms of awareness, in terms of always being in the right position in terms of help defense. What do you think of his on ball defense?
1: I think he is the difficult product of somebody who is again, not same player, but it's like kind of like watching Jaden Ivy play defense, but at six foot eight. Like, his steps aren't always perfect, um, but he's so athletic that he can make up for it a lot of the time. And I think there yeah. will be growing pains with that at the next level for sure. But I think like the way that he's just improved technique wise off the ball and as a as a rim protector makes me feel like he's going to be able to make that happen. Um, I think I like ideally he's much more of a switch guy, like who you're not asking to stay in front like for forever. But I think he's good enough at moving his feet and using his length to be able to really attack somebody at, at the top of at the top of like if you're running a zone you can do that um or even if like again if he's just switched out onto somebody like i think that that's gonna be really difficult for teams to guard but again like not somebody that i think you should be like okay well go guard that guy and be on an island like i think that that's asking for problems um or not even-
0: mark is gone i don't know where mark went He'll be back at some point, I think. Um, here he is again.
1: Sorry. I, I'm so sorry. I have no idea what I just hit, but it. <laughs> um, but yeah, point being like, that's, that's not going to be a strong suit to, to do that right now, but I do think. So,
0: so here would be my next question to you. Where do you think the shot is? That's ultimately like, you know, the swing skill here is his jumper.
1: Maybe I'm too biased, but I think the shot has really improved um from where it used to be I still think in terms of actual efficacy at the next level it needs to improve release uh like I think his release needs to be a little bit higher I think that it needs to be quicker um but from the corners I think I feel really confident what that looks like already like he doesn't has it but he doesn't hesitate on the corner shots at least I think the above the break stuff really needs work I don't know if he's ever going to be somebody who's really shooting off any kind of movement um but even just being, like, somebody who can be a stationary guy in the slots, um, I think that that's coming in time. And anybody I've talked to at IMG or Houston has only spoken – anybody's going to say this, but, like – and I think it's played out. Like, just his work ethic is apparently pretty pretty damn good. Um, so I feel good about the shot growing and getting better. Um But again, like, I think it's more so like it's getting to a level of being respectable rather than being good, like maybe like a 36% shooter on like four game or something like that. So it's not perfect, but um, I do think that it's going to get there in time.
0: Yep. Okay. What is the role that makes sense? I guess is my question. Like, let's say it all goes right. Let's say that like everything developmentally for him breaks the way we want it to. What is the role?
1: That's a great question. I think what makes him fascinating is I feel like he is very much like he has to be with the right team. Like he's actually, I, I like, I mean, easy enough to say, I feel like you can say it about anybody, but he's the guy I wish if I could do anything to get him in Miami. Like, I think that, that a, like a coaching staff that has like a very direct plan of how to get him involved Um and get him reps that are meaningful because again like you're just force feeding him creator reps makes no sense like that's not how i view him um but like okay can we really focus on working him in as a dho threat working him in as a short roll guy because those are the ways where i'm like i think that if you end up getting him to be somebody who's a creator you start there like i think like you start with segmented decision-making like okay these are the things that we're going to ask you to do and improve on those are things that i think that he already has to a degree and i think could really pop at the next level um and but again like okay like let's say like if he were in dallas right now he would he would be a fish out of water playing for dallas i think like i think that he would really struggle with that i think he would really struggle being in a place where it's just like stand and you know you'll get the ball at some point. You just take shots and attack closeouts, and that's really it. Um, so I think yeah, it has to be a team that's like really bought into who he can be. Um, but I think like again, just to speak on ultimate role, like he's in that hard spot of being a basketball player who's like potentially really good at some things. But I think again, like I tend to just lean back on. I think the defense is going to be so good that he gets a lot of opportunities to really figure things out but the first team is the most important for, for that happening. Um, so the so, role so is like, like ideally yeah. I think he's somebody who plays with like alongside a stretch five. Um, like I think that would be best for him. Like, you know, to, right. to really get the most out of what he can do as a screener and roller and um, getting those opportunities. I think, yeah, playing alongside somebody who's more of a pop threat at the five would be good for him.
0: So like, here'd be like the ideal, right? Like say, the Pacers end up at 14th overall or something like that because they just barely miss out on the playoffs, and they decide to re-sign Miles Turner. Right, putting Jarris in an offense that can be a bit motion-heavy with Ben Matherin, with Tyrese Halliburton, Chris Duarte, Andrew Nemhard, having the spacing of Miles Turner. That's kind of the, like putting him at the four, is their long-term four playing that role that they're having Jalen Smith play a lot of the time right now? That's yeah. kind of the idealized, like I'm trying to put it in terms for people that like is a little bit more concrete, I guess. Like that that's almost exactly what you're talking about. It sounds like,
1: right? Yeah, I think it's, it. what's tough is it. I think it almost has to be better than that. Um, because just Miles is like he's still not really getting guarded as a three point threat, even though he's shooting like forty two percent from deep this year. So it makes it like I'm not yeah. trying to be like nitpicky and annoying, but um, no, because no, no, then I wonder. I think too, that's an
0: important point.
1: Like, because yeah. then I'm if thinking Miles like,
0: Turner isn't a good enough shooter for this to work. It's hard to find that guy then at the five for it to yeah. like really be idealized with jairus
1: Yeah, yeah, because I think like. What what does help though is I feel like especially with what that offense has been this year, by virtue of like how much they play like transition in the half court, I think they really mitigate a lot of those issues. Um, And I feel good because like they've really tried to to get some of the short roll stuff out of Isaiah Jackson this year, and it just it has not been there. So I do think that if and I actually I'd have a lot more confidence in it popping for Sharis than I have had for Isaiah Jackson. Um, I agree. I think that that could look good. So I think, like, again, like, it would be, okay, you're doing this with the idea of in two years we get to the right. point where we're not really too worried about what the spacing is in the half court. Um, but that's with, like, okay, Jaris, a shot comes along. You still have Miles Turner there. Um, but, again, like, I still just think, like, I view him so much as, like, being that guy who could make it work. It's so enti- – that's what's – that's it's a trap because it's, like, it's, that's an unfair way to put it about a guy. But just in terms of the skill set um, – it's almost like it feels like a trap because it's like the idea of like, oh, well, he can you can get so much out of this. But really, there's so much that has to go on to make it work in an idealized setting, too. Is is it maybe
0: putting him between Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic in Denver and playing the Aaron Gordon role and just trying to wreak havoc everywhere kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I think that that could be really fun for him. Um, yeah, I would love to see that.
0: But here's what I would say about that though. So he'd be able to operate as a cutter, but with Jokic, you then lose a lot of the short roll stuff because yeah. they wouldn't end up doing that with him. So yeah, th- this is kind of why I'm a little bit lower on Jarris. I-, I say all of this to say like, this is why I have some concerns with him and have him more mm-hmm. in like the 20 ish range as opposed to like, I've seen some people that are like, this guy's a lottery pick. This guy's like, you know, a potential top 10 guy. I just can't get there because it's hard for me with the role. Cause I, I don't see him ever as a volume three point shooter. I see him maybe getting to the point where he can like hit a spot three, but like, I, I don't, I, I don't like the shot enough to where I project that necessarily.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. And I think to just to credit to like I, I think, I mean, just based on our, our, our speaking, like I was hiring him headed into the year. He's definitely dropped for me. Like he would still be in the lottery, but I'm talking like 10 to 14. Like I would not have him in the top 10 right now based on what this yeah. has looked like. Um, I still believe a lot in what his trajectory can be. And I, I do have a good feeling about how the rest of this year could handle out for him. Um, But I totally agree. I think that it's really made me rethink about what his offense is. Because like, again, just like based on what the trajectory felt like the last two years, um, it really felt like this year would be like, oh yeah, like this is it's gonna pop like he's going to go play for a potential national champion and it's it's been it's been a little bit more tough sledding um but what does make it interesting too like again, not the same player, but I think we had some of the same discussions about Jalen Duren at the beginning of last year like it felt like it took him a little bit of time to really ease into things <laughs> the defense not in the same way like at least for me, I felt like before they really started to lean into him more as being a guy who can, who can operate as a post playmaker um, and doing some of those things. It felt like, again, not to, not to the same degree, but I do think like in terms of thinking like, okay, this could look a little bit different in a month.
0: So, so how is, so here, here's what I would say to that Jalen Duran is making an impact in the NBA right now, largely by being six foot 11 with a seven foot six wingspan, right? Yeah. Like, He is rebounding the hell out of the ball. He's being a good rim protector. He's finishing reasonably well around the basket. Like he's just doing the big man things, right? Which is super valuable. And he's brought some switchability defensively and he's been pretty effective as a rookie defender so far, especially for someone who is like 19 years old, right? I I don't mean to like, you know, shit on what Jalen Duran has done this year. I, I just say it to say that like, Jairus doesn't have the six foot 11, seven foot six wingspan to fall back on. He's six foot eight with a seven two wingspan. So if he's that, like if he's more of like a dirty work guy in the way Jalen Duran has been so far, I worry, can he be as effective at it as like a Jalen Duran is in the NBA? And yeah, I, I no, know that, like you're saying, you're saying something different than what I'm saying. But yeah. I'm like trying to like put it in NBA terms, in terms of like the way that it's borne out for Jalen on the court.
1: Yeah, no, no, that's those are those are totally fair points. Um, yeah, and I think it's, it's obviously it's, it's different for sure. But um, no, exactly. Like if if Jairus is getting to the point where he's like pretty strict with small ball five, then I think it makes it a lot harder, um, without yep. a doubt. Um, Especially just thinking about like who some of the other guys in this draft are, like I'm right there with you.
0: So let's play my favorite game, just to like fuck with Mark Schindler, right?
1: Oh now. boy,
0: this guy or that guy. <laughs>
1: All right, let's do it.
0: Okay, uh, Jerris Walker or Gigi Jackson?
1: Jerris, for sure.
0: Just because of the defense, right?
1: Yeah, I have a lot more confidence in him. Just having like a concrete skill that's going to keep him on an NBA court right now.
0: So, who do you think is further ahead, Jerris Walker or Gigi Jackson, offensively?
1: Neither. Um, like, uh, like the. I, I think Gigi I just, is like
0: substantially further ahead. To be honest,
1: I probably can't get there yet. I just like the overall like uh, the overall passing feel is just like I know that the shot making yeah. shops are really interesting. Yeah. I. It's just – it's a tough archetype for me. Um, I want to see a lot more. And it's all, again, like you have to bring up, like, well, Gigi is, should be a senior in high school right now. So, I do think it's it's cl- close, but I would probably –
0: Gigi is right more now. than two years younger than Jaris. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know. Like, I, I would take Gigi. I would take the flyer on Gigi and see if the defense translates. But – you're you're in that range, it sounds like with Jarris, yeah, right? Definitely. Okay. So Keontae, George, or Jarrus Walker? Keontae. Okay. Um Jaris Walker or Jet Howard. Jet know, Howard. Sweet boy.
1: Jet Howard. Dude, okay. I just need to I need to riff real quick. What Jet Howard started has started to show like the last week, like I don't want to get like overly hyped just because of a game against minnesota in in december but like the things he's starting to show comfortably on ball is like even with the the defensive concerns that we've talked about like that's talking like close to top 10 for me like that is like to me like that's i would have him over Jerris right now um, so
0: i have jet at 13 right now for what it's yeah. worth so i'm i'm not far off on you with that yeah. uh Jaris, walker case and wallace
1: That's, ooh, I think it would be team dependent, but I probably have Kaysen right now. Okay.
0: Bryce Sensabaugh or Jarris Walker?
1: Jarris Walker.
0: Agree. Chris Murray or Jarris Walker?
1: Jarris Walker.
0: Agree. Uh, Grady Dick or Jarris Walker?
1: Uh, Same thing as Kaysen. I think it's team sensitive, but I'd probably have Grady over him right now.
0: Okay, I would actually go Jerris in that one. I
1: think. Okay,
0: um, my really fun one: Donovan Klingon or Jerris Walker?
1: <laughs> it's Jerris Walker. I'm, I'm taking Jerris Walker. <laughs> yeah, I would
0: too. But I love Donovan I love shout Donovan out Klingin. to
1: shout out to Donovan Klingon. He's been he's been like talk about impact freshman man. Like yeah. he's a large Tell reason for why UConn's a national title worthy team this year. Like he's been incredible off the bench for them.
0: Okay, so this is gonna be the full moment where we transition now. Brandon Miller or Jarrus Walker?
1: Uh probably well, it would be it would be Brandon. Um because yeah. I'll, I'll let you transition, but yeah, it would be Brandon.
0: So Brandon Miller played in this game. Brandon Miller went 0 for 8. He had eight points on eight of nine from the field. Or from the free throw line, I'm sorry. I thought he made a bigger impact in this game than Jarris did because The way that Alabama utilized him as a screener and as an off ball movement guy, I think, showcased everything about why he is such a threatening player and why having a guy that is six foot nine, not six foot five or six foot six, that can shoot like he can and shoot off of movement like he can is such a dangerous threat. Like They were just running screen action after screen action in the second half involving Brandon Miller and involving the gravity that he has going away from the ball in order to open everything up for everything else that they were doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was really, really important and really, really impressive that he was out there, even if he wasn't the one affecting the box score in that game. Uh, And frankly, like I didn't think he played all that well in that game. But I thought his impact on winning was greater than like an eight rebound or an 8.0 for eight game uh, that you would see typically.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I don't I don't know if I would say it's like substantially better than Jarris just because, again, the Jarris defense was so freaking good. Um, but – I mean,
0: I, substan- I still- If I said substantially, I'm sorry. I, I no, no, think, you I I didn't say
1: substantially. I was just processing yeah. that in my head. Um, yeah, I think – I just want to – I I just want to refund this really quick. I have been incredibly fucking annoyed by the way people have talked about Brandon Miller this year. Um, oh, okay. I, Let's go. It. Give it to I, me. I get the concerns about him as a two-point shooter and finisher inside the art. Those are very fair and relevant. If you have those concerns and you have had them since the beginning, as I think most people have, awesome. But I think, like, the way that it continually gets broadcast is, like, this major like oh well you're you were an idiot for having him here here like get over yourself man like I, I just I really struggle with I, I I tweeted a thread about this I just really struggle with the way that people talk about prospects in general like on Twitter on podcasts like I yes there are flaws and I think it's important to talk about them it's not that we're not supposed to be critical and and analysis but also like dude what are we what are we doing here if if you're going online and like. Having this entire tirade of tweets because somebody had Brandon Miller in their top 10 and you think that's stupid. Like just, it's, it's, it's a little bit ridiculous to me. And I think again, like you're mentioning too, it just, yes, the, the, this is, this is how I want to go about it. Like the two point scoring is a legitimate problem. Like the scoring on drives is a legitimate problem. Is footwork in the paint a legitimate problem? But let's look at it like this. Okay. He is what he has shown this year has been like legit, legit shooting from outside, legit shooting off movement, legit pull up creation and stuff from deep. And I think, yes, we we need to see it in a larger size sample size to see it translate. But again, he's six foot nine doing this. The handle has been, well, it is really wide and loose at times. Like he's six foot nine. He can snake dribble into the paint and get into areas and maneuver inside. And like, no, he's not a three-level scorer right now, but he has shown a little bit of passing at his size while being a legitimate movement shooter, and that's really damn good. And that's without being a complete defensive negative too. Um, so I just – I, I maybe part of that is just like I tend to be really glass half full because I hated how I was talked about when I was an athlete. But like I also just think, again, like sometimes I really just hate the way that flaws get – um overly uh, nitpicked to a way where yes it's true that they matter but also like okay what if we talk about why they matter because of what their game really is instead of just being like that so sorry for for the giant rant Sam but like it it has really frustrated me recently so
0: look I I rely on you for these things to know the temperature and the barometer of what the internet thinks about people uh, because I don't look (laughs) <laughs> for many of smarter the than me yeah that you're talking about uh and because like frankly i am someone where i feel like i like to go in where my thought processes and like evaluations are kind of unimpeded mm-hmm. and like i don't have some sort of preconceived notion beyond what i've seen and beyond like you know, just like a recruiting ranking, right? Sure. Like I, I like to have, you know, a, I, I use recruiting rankings as a watch list because, you know, it's it's easiest, right? And NBA yeah. teams do this. Like it's not, nobody ranks based off of recruiting rankings. It's more just like, this is what we need. This is who we need to see. This is what we need to see, right? Um, <laughs> I think that people underestimate, How hard it is to find guys that are six foot nine movement shooters that like you can run off of screening actions at 19, 20 years old. I don't know if Brandon's turned 20 yet, but he's very close. Mm -hmm. Um, if he hasn't, um, that you can run off of real actions and that they can fire and shoot, it's very hard to find that. It's even harder to find those guys that can defend and like defend in space a little bit because. Brandon's not like a, super, like he's not Jairus Walker defensively. He's not anywhere near that in terms of like making an impact all over the court, but he's switchable and he can deal with a lot of different mismatches and a lot of different matchup kind of situations, right? That alone, like I, I hate to be reductive about stuff and look like I have to write a fucking 125,000 word draft guide at some point. Like I will be writing critical things about Brandon Miller at some point. Right, because that's part of it. Now, I-, I like to think that I write about things in a way that shows that there is potential for improvement. Um, I think, frankly, I've gotten a lot better at that over the last couple of years, particularly. I think as I came up and when I was younger, I think I was kind of a dickhead, but like, I, I think it's part of the growing and maturing process with this stuff and wanting to see guys succeed. Like I genuinely, I come to all of this with like, unless I hear that you are like a terrible human being off the court and I don't really like to report that stuff. Um, I, I'm going to root for you to succeed at the end of the day. Like I, I just want those guys to be successful point blank. I want prospects to have the most success possible. I don't give a fuck if my rankings are wrong. Like I just had some dude like that's a Raptors, like YouTuber go live because of our Scotty Barnes conversation where he was like, Oh yeah, you had Scotty Barnes at, you know, six on your board instead of four. And you like Jalen Suggs more. So now you're like stuck in your opinion. I like was so publicly strong about Scotty Barnes last year, like after he played well, because I don't care if I'm wrong. Like I care if I'm wrong just from like an evaluation perspective, but like, I'm not too big Mm. to admit when I'm wrong. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it's cool, it's whatever, right? Um in, in the case of Brandon, based off of what you're saying, I, I just hope that like people don't like lock in, I guess, on stuff. Like, I think it's kind of silly to like do that. These kids are fucking 19 years old in a lot of cases. Sometimes they're 17, like in Gigi Jackson's case. That's yeah. so young. There's still so much time for these guys to improve. And in Brandon's case, I think what he has to improve is fixable. Like sometimes guys just don't have touch, right? And I think the touch is like this inherent thing that is you you kind of have it or you don't. It's hard to fix that in a lot of ways. Um, Brandon, a lot of it is just like footwork based. And like some of the shit he does from like a mechanics perspective, more so than a physical perspective or a touch perspective. And he's already really good. Like, I think that there are some processing stuff I'd like to see improve. I think that there is some other stuff that like maybe, maybe he doesn't ever get to like a super high level point, but if you're six foot nine and you can shoot and you're not a liability defensively because you can take on a lot of different assignments and like be switchable, it's hard to get that guy outside of the lottery. Every NBA team is looking for guys like this. These are some of the most valuable archetypes in the NBA. Like I have as many, like I have Brandon in the like 10 to 14 range right now, or like the nine to 14 range, not the um top seven that some people have them. I, I really like Brandon and I, I think he's terrific, but I have, like concerns about what the upside is but even if he doesn't ever figure out the on ball stuff he's still a good movement shooter that is six foot nine and is not going to be like a liability defensively and that's helpful it's just helpful to an nba team now
1: yeah no exactly i think that's a great point like one of the things that i always think about too just like like you mentioned in terms of movement shooting um Think about how many teams in the NBA could use Doug McDermott. Like, the answer is every team. And Brandon, I don't know if he's going to get to that level of shooter, but, like, same yeah. idea Well, not being somebody you have to worry, in theory, about getting played off the court in playoffs. Like, that's incredibly important in, like, every facets of really, like, just building out an offense. Um, and then you talk about, like, okay, what he can potentially bring if if he can really develop out some more of his ability to – to see passes and like, he's already mm-hmm. started to show, show some stuff with making some of the basic pick and roll reads. And like, when you have that kind of shooting gravity and you can just make the basic pick and roll reads, like playing alongside a decent screener or roller, like then you're cooking with grease. So like, yeah, exactly. I'm right there with you. Like he's, he's an incredibly fun prospect. And I think a lot of it too, like you mentioned the forward, but I think even like just finishing through contact, part of that is the forward for sure, but also like just getting stronger um like yeah. he is um like every bit of like 190 at, at, at best right now it feels like right um so i feel like yeah again just like getting stronger throughout his core just adding a little bit of weight and new ways to because like, he's pretty contact averse right now too so like finding ways to yeah. not throw up falling away stuff like that's gonna be really big for him but again like that's stuff that takes guys until they're like 24 25 to figure out sometimes so He's got a good base and it's just kind of building up from there
0: okay Mark we wanted to talk about movies at some point I know that have we if we talked smile I can't remember Did we do that last week or no we have not we uh, we, we texted about it but we did not talk about it on the pod which I, I so let's give everyone an out here so smile is a movie that has made like almost a hundred million dollars at the American box office so I would imagine that like, Many people have seen it. But if you haven't seen it yet, this is your app. This is where it's time for you to move on. Uh, Mark and I are going to talk about it. And it's kind of one of those movies that's like a jump scare horror movie. So it's going to be a little bit hard, I think, to not spoil. So this is your 30 seconds of me rambling that gave you every chance to get out of this conversation. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mark, give me your thoughts on Smile, a movie that I quite liked. Um, and gave a pretty high rating on Letterboxd, I think.
1: I loved it. I think I gave it a 4 out of 5 on Letterboxd, um, which yep. normally I'm like I like I tend to just give it a lot of 3s. Um, I dude, I loved it. It was really good. I think uh I loved how it was shot was like one of my favorite things because I think yeah. they did a lot of creative stuff to make it um make the jump scares still mean something without like, well, also knowing like there are a lot of them. Um, One of my favorite parts too, actually, if I remember correctly, I think it was the the director was somebody who worked. uh, It was either director or producer was somebody who worked on, on alien. So like the shot that they did with the fake therapist um, was like a direct homage to that scene from alien where (laughs) it's like up, like breathing up against Ripley. Um, so like, because I went back, I like, I love like watching YouTube videos on stuff after I watch a movie and like getting to know more. And, um, I think the, what really set this movie apart for me though, was like the last 10 minutes. Um, because the practical effects that they did for the actual, like smile monster, um, monster does not do it justice by the way. That's like, that thing was like, that was generally horrifying uh to see like pop up for the first time that like really set it apart for me like the way that they did that um i thought it was cool because like the movie obviously had a lot to say about mental health i think it was a uh, it was it was almost just like really it was difficult to watch um because like you're essentially seeing somebody who is to all all these other people like losing their mind but like very really like just like getting haunted by something that is like trying to kill them. And um, I don't know. I think not that I I felt it was like overly profound or something, but like it was, uh, I I really enjoyed a lot of what they were trying to get at and um, how they went about it. And I thought, I don't, I can't remember the actress's name right now. I know it's Kevin Bacon's daughter, Um, but she was tremendous. Like I thought she was really damn good in this. Um, So yeah, I enjoyed the absolute hell out of this movie.
0: So I thought this is the best jump scare movie of the year so far. And I've seen God knows how many horror movies, probably 20. I think I've seen all of the major ones this year, Barbarian Halloween ends, you know, what what, speak? No evil. Like everything that's come out. I've seen basically in Mm -hmm. terms of the jump scare movies, um, and speak. No evil is not a jump scare movie. It's a weirdo, like social awkwardness, horror movie. (laughs) Um, Smile, I think, is an incredible technical achievement. Uh, the camera movement that will like, purposely play against your expectations in terms of there should be something in the depth of field here, the way that they design the sets as well, especially their house. I think mm-hmm. where the where they would set the camera there'd almost always be substantial depth of field as the camera is moving so you're always expecting there to be something yeah and sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't like it's just a really really fucked up movie in that
1: way yeah <laughs> like, oh dude just, and speaking of just fucked the tension up, like you're the, always tense it's watching the this. tension but like i so when i first started watching it, i was like i mean i thought it was going to be like I mean, I thought I was going to get some good stuff and it was going to be scary, but like when the, the cat happens, I was like, I was yeah. not ready. I didn't, I was like, okay, this is where we're going. Like, this is like, you know, 35, 40 minutes in, we're hitting that. Like, that's, yeah. that's something that goes on. I'm like, okay, that's the depth you're going to. Um, I think the, be- I, I had a friend describe it to me. He's like, you feel hopeless watching it, which I was like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just, that's, that's kind of true, which is, I almost I, I wanted to ask you, how did you feel about the ending? Because like I almost just kind of wish that the ending had been a little bit different, even though I get why they went in that direction. Um Do you mean like the last second? Not just like last second. Like, like the um, whole last
0: sequence, you mean
1: even? I part of it's because I do enjoy a happy ending. I kind of wish that she had gotten out of the house. Um but like <laughs> What was so difficult about that is because, like, I think in terms of, like, actual movie making, that was great. But in terms of, like, from a humanity standpoint, I'm like, so, like, you're just saying that you can't escape it. And I'm like, I hate that. <laughs> and uh, so I think in some ways that was almost more effective. But it was like that was that was incredibly difficult at the end.
0: Yeah, I liked the ending. I thought it was a very good ending for what the movie was. Yeah. Um, because, look, this is it's not like this hasn't been done before, right? Like this is a riff on It Follows, essentially. And It Follows is a riff on something else that I can't think of off the top of my head, right? Um, It's not like this, like, you know, horror that follows you from person to person after death or something like that. It's not like this is new in many ways. It's a thing that's been done before, but typically they solve it at the end. And if you're going to do this, I like the idea, and I actually don't, I can't remember off the top of my head with it follows if they solve it or not, but it follows. I think it's a slightly better version of this, but I think that this is yeah. pretty close to that level. Um, I like the idea of it just being something that is impossible to solve in many ways. And you can try, it, it almost lines up This is like a fucked up way of thinking of it, but like, it almost lines up very similarly to like the idea of like trauma and escaping your past in this movie right like you can try to avoid like dealing with your trauma you can try to avoid thinking about your past in the way that the main character in this film does uh Zosie bacon if I remember correctly is her name mm-hmm. um but eventually it's gonna catch you right you're gonna be presented with this horror and it's a little bit fucked up that like the message at the end is like that, you know, you can't solve it, but yeah. I kind of like it at the end. Like, I think it fit this movie the way that this movie laid itself out at the end of it. Um, I thought it was really good. I thought it was really well done. Uh, I will watch whatever Parker Finn does next basically. So yeah.
1: no, um, I really enjoyed it. I'm, my biggest, my biggest things, I don't want them to make another one. Like I think that this is one of those movies where, like I think it's most effective leaving it how they did, which means they're definitely going to make another one, um especially oh no, this
0: movie made so much money, one. they're definitely yeah. making another one,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is frustrating from like a film watching standpoint because so I'm sure it'll be like cool, but like I mean, how do you that's the kind of thing where it's like how do you even make something that compares to the last ten minutes of that movie? I just don't think you can, like the only thing that I will say that I had like frustration is the wrong way to put it but like uh and i heard like i don't have access to the the deleted scenes because it's not out yet but like i've heard that the deleted scenes do a lot more justice to that jesse t usher's performance because i i like him as an actor but like he felt like just kind of like a nothing character in this like they used it like he was like a plot device to be like uh just like somebody who like kind of helps push her further away um but like apparently the deleted scenes are really good for like adding actual characterization to him.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I- I'm just happy. They centralized a woman in that role. Yeah. Uh, no, as opposed sure. to like, you know, typically it's the woman that's like pushing away. So it's just like, whatever yeah. to mean that Jesse T ushers, like kind of thrown away. Um, Cause ultimately it's not his story, right? It's hers. Oh and yeah, definitely more than anything. Like it's hers. And then it could become Kyle Gallner's down the road, but What else have you watched? Anything else recently?
1: Uh, what else have I watched? That's a great question. I need to be better at keeping on top of my letterbox because I have not been recently, but I, uh, I just watched two days ago. this movie called, she said it was, uh, it's Carrie Mulligan. And yeah, so it's basically about every, like the New York times breaking the, um, all the cases. Shout out the New York
0: times. We love the New York times here.
1: Yes, we do. Um, that was really good, actually. Um, it was incredibly difficult watch, though. Um, yeah. So that's definitely something you have to be uh, open to watching. Um, but I definitely encourage people to. Um, but, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Did I watch anything else outside of that? I don't think that I've seen anything else. Unless... No. How about you? Have you seen anything else recently? So watched three of the more high-profile
0: movies of the back half of the year. Watched Amsterdam... Which is David O. Russell's new movie with Christian what Dale did you think and... about
1: Amsterdam? Because I <laughs> saw Amsterdam. It? I did watch Amsterdam. I think I saw that two or three weeks ago. I thought it was bad. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fucking terrible. Um it was like it's like I thought that it was like good acting performances, but I was just like, This story just kinda sucks, man. And it's like trying really hard to be funny, but I also just think it comes off as weird for the most part. Like, so, so I, I think that
0: like, I think the way to think about this is that the script is nowhere near as good as David O. Russell thinks it is. And I think that it's possible that he may have recognized it. And tried to overly stylize it to almost make up for that. But then the over-stylization just ends up convoluting the story in a substantial way. And then like, like I, I think the, the thing and I'm going to spoil Amsterdam here, but you guys shouldn't watch it. So I'm not
1: that. Yeah, trust me. It. It's a slog like two um, and a half hours long. It's not, not worth it.
0: So like the, the ending may, I won't spoil what happens at the end, but the ending is viewed through the eyes of like a Christian bail that is just like on drugs, basically. And he's like voiceovering voiceovering and narrating the entire thing. And it's the dumbest way possible to tell the end of a story and to like tell a denouement it like it, it's, it's not, it's not interesting in any way. It, it doesn't, build tension. This movie struggles throughout its runtime at building tension of building pace of making you feel like there are stakes in the film. It really just did not work at all. And I think that a lot of the time, David O Russell picked overly stylizing the image on screen and some of the ideas of what he's doing at the expense of telling an interesting story, building tension, building pacing, building momentum for the story and it just never really works at all. Yeah, it, it just flat out does not work. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you; like, I thought the acting was hit or miss. I thought that there were actors that were really on David O. Russell's wavelength, like Christian Bale, Margot Robbie. Like, you know, th- those two are just Anya Taylor Joy is another one. She's like really on it in terms of like what David O. Russell is like asking, basically. But I didn't think John David Washington or Taylor Swift, frankly, or, um, you know, I'm trying to think like Zoe Saldana. Like I, I didn't think that a lot of the actors in this film were really on his wavelength.
1: Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. In too. terms was, of what he was trying to do. Yeah. Um, yes. I completely. In terms agree of
0: tone, that. in terms of like speech and in terms of like pacing of speech, it just didn't, it didn't work. I think.
1: Yeah, it like came off uncomfortable at times. Like you mentioned, like the scenes with Zoe Saldana. I'm like, what is her mood? Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting out of this. And same thing with I, I'm gonna kick myself that I don't remember this guy's name right now. Guy who plays the general. Um, literally, the guy one of the who most plays time of all time. Uh, which
0: which general? Because there's there's Mike Myers uh, and Michael Shannon, and there's like
1: the Marine. Yeah.
0: The Marine,
1: yeah, oh, like Christian Bale. No, not not Christian Bale. The guy that they have to like convince to give the speech at the end.
0: It's been a the long day. convinced to give the speech at the end. What am I? Uh, let, let me be... look it up. It is um
1: Robert De Niro. You idiot. Yes, uh, Robert. De Niro. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, He's I thought Robert movie. De Niro was terrible in this, dude. Like. Like just to be fair to him, like, like you mentioned like it just like it his he just felt so like odd for the way that the script was written and for everything in general. I think like like you mentioned, the best way to put it it felt like this dude just like sat laughing to himself while he wrote the entire thing, like telling everybody that he was smarter than them. That was very much how the movie came off at the end. Like like it told me that I wasn't smart enough to understand it or get it because I wasn't laughing at it. So it was a, yeah. it was a journey.
0: the The other movie I watched recently was Three Thousand Years of Longing, which I is George it. Miller's new movie.
1: Did you see it? Yes, I did see it. I I forget how many movies I actually have seen, but yes, I did see it. I saw that probably like two, three, or four weeks ago now. So you liked it? I did like it.
0: I. I I loved the first hour and 10 minutes. I thought the first hour and 10 minutes is like some of the best, most interesting filmmaking of the year. I didn't really love the third act, which I think is what a lot of people seem to be saying, but I would, I don't really want to spoil this one. I would just recommend everyone go see it. It's just very creative and different and uh, visually stunning. The color palette is amazing. And some of the ideals that are explored, I think, are really, really interesting just in terms of like storytelling and how stories impact us, and uh, like the loneliness of storytelling and how it can be like a solitary activity, um, and how stories. We're we're, stories are everything, right? They're history. They're what we tell ourselves. Like, it's a really, really interesting movie. It's a really interesting movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Thought it was good. I think if they just like cut the last hour by like fifteen minutes and made it more condensed, I think that is better.
0: So, do you know what the funny thing is? I think that they should have gone the other way.
1: Oh, really? I think
0: that it should be. I think that the last third of the movie, like the last thirty minutes, they should have expanded it out a little bit longer Okay. or like expanded out. It's hard to talk about without spoiling what the turning point is that happens in like the hour, 10 minute range. And I don't really want to do that. I would just recommend people see it. Um, I I wish that that would have been a bit more coherently laid out. And I wish that afterward we would have gotten a little bit more uh, with that. I guess that's yeah. what I would say. Okay, oh, yeah. Mark, we got to get out of here. It's two and a half hours, baby.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just realized that.
0: <laughs> We've gone long. Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on yeah. in your
1: life. You can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Um, that's the best place to find me. Uh, I probably am on a brief hiatus from writing stuff for this week, just coming to be out um, doing – I have two more days of interviews, and then I'll be – getting back home on Friday with a three hour time shift that is not in my favor. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I will be out and about, obviously I'll be watching stuff. I'll be putting plenty of stuff on Twitter. Cause I got to keep up, up with every game and everything, but um, yeah, man, nothing too crazy on my end. I
0: love it. Uh, I am working through the draft guide. I will have James Edwards with me on Friday, breaking down the Kate Cunningham injury, as well as a couple other things. I'm sure. Keep it locked here though go to the athletic, uh, go to the athletic.com slash game theory, and you'll be able to get the promotional code for this show. And it really helps the show. If you go and subscribe to the athletic, uh, through that code. So I'm trying to think what else we've got. If you want to subscribe to the YouTube channel, that'd be valuable. Uh, game Theory podcast with Sam Vecini over on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. It's a great little product that we've got going on there. Uh, go to subscribe on Spotify, go to follow slash subscribe on Apple podcasts. There are a number of different things you can do to support the show, but until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.